looking for now, Frankenstein? I know I'd go from rags to riches. Why, a four-year-old child could understand this report. Run out and find me a four-year-old child. I can't make a head or tail out of it. Farabelli, you've got the brain of a four-year-old boy, and I bet he was glad to get rid of it. My fate is up to you. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. It's been a while. Uh, two weeks ago, I was a little under the weather. Thank you very much, Caleb Boat, for filling in for me. Hope everybody, at least on the uh, state side, had a good Thanksgiving. But we are back here, breaking into the top 30, for better or worse. Probably mostly worse, but here we are. Jack? Yeah. How are you doing? You don't celebrate Thanksgiving at the right time, but you do celebrate Thanksgiving. How are you going to do uh, this week? Uh, honestly, I feel not terrible about this week. Uh, <laughs> I, there's one pick in particular that I I don't think you'll love a whole lot but then again you know I you, uh, you knew what you were signing up for when 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 I was on this when I was at this show this that is, be is that is accurate Cody you're back how was your how was your Thanksgiving friend uh I almost didn't show up um I was I I was also sick this past week, so it looks like it hit us all. Um, if anybody did not pick up what Jack was saying, um, I'm guessing there's a Lord of the Rings uh, thing coming because um, he's very bad at giving away what's happening. Um, but, yeah, tonight should be fun. I mean, I, I, it's kind of weird taking time off in between episodes because, like, you know, normally this is like a 10-week grind. Now it's turned into, like, a 15-week grind, and it's just like yeah. – killing me so it should be fun should be fun all right uh jake does australia have thanksgiving oh no well we have i guess we have our own but it's australia day it's on the 26th of january but well whatever it was it was nice to get a a week break from from your list but we're back um how did you how did you finish on on uh boatman show i forget i came last but like it wasn't like a a full-on dead blast it was more just like Three other people had better lists. And, all, all, you know. all is still right with the world then. Uh, glad to have you here. Thanks for coming. Uh, Scott, finally. Uh, we're back again. We had a couple weeks off. Are you rested? Are you ready to go? Yeah, I am. Happy to be here. I'm very excited. Uh, four of us on this call, our, our nations have uh, advanced in the World Cup. Uh, Jack, stick to hockey. Will do. <laughs> all right. Like said, so loose about... top, it's the top 30. Uh, Jack, uh, start us off with your 30 through 28. All right. Uh, my number 30 is The Sound of Silence from The Graduate, specifically the ending because they do play that song a few times in that movie. Uh, 29 is The Train from Spider-Man 2. Yikes. Figured. And 28 is The Coin Toss from No Country for Old Men. And that was on my list before. Uh... Yeah. Yeah. All right. Sound of silence. Uh, this is a fantastic ending to this film. Uh, honestly, uh, I don't know if if they end it any other way. The movie doesn't work as well for me. Uh, it's a great scene. Uh, Dustin Hoffman rushing to 
I, I think her, uh, her name's Elaine. I, I, I believe uh, I didn't rewatch the scene before hand, but uh, rushing to her wedding uh, and gets there. She's already been married and he starts banging on the glass, screaming out her name. And then she sees him and runs to him. And uh, he, Oh, uh, knocked something over. I, uh, and also, and they run away together, sit on the bus, uh, they get on the bus and they sit there and they, uh, and it's all smiles and they're happy to be together. And then they sit there and sit there and the smiles start to fade and they start to think, what, what now, what, 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 what could possibly happen? Uh, what comes next? And uh, it's just the perfect note to end that movie on. Uh, also, Dustin Hoffman fights off a crowd with a with a cross, so that's also great. Uh, yeah, uh, Cody, I think you had this earlier. Yeah, it was my sixty-seven. <coughs> I love following Jack. Um, he, when he describes the scene, it makes me hate my scene a little bit. But no, I like the scene still. Um, no, I, I think it, I think what he does say is, is it's the perfect ending to it because it's the two people. They're both young. They both. They both have just fucked up situations, if you're being honest. When you look at both sides of the picture about being together, like, he used to hook up with her mother. Um, now he's like, I love her. I still love her. I can't be with her because of this reason. <clears throat> he breaks up the wedding. He goes down. And then I, the thing I like the most about it, one, I love the, the soundtrack to this movie. I think Simon Garfunkel is, like, the perfect thing for this movie. I think it works really well. But it's two young kids that made this decision, basically threw her life away. He, he's kind of thrown where his life is going at this point. And they both sit on the bus, and, like, they are all happy because they just did this, like, uh, the adrenaline is now wearing off, and now we're on our own. And are we happy? Are we not? And that's kind of what the movie leaves you with. Like, will they be will – they, will this be a marriage that works out in their end? Who knows? But overall, it's just a perfect ending to this movie because – you know, he, I mean, he drives, runs out of gas, runs, gets all the way there to break up this wedding. It's a great ending. All right. And, uh, Jack, you're 28. 28. Right. Yeah. Uh, my 28 is the coin toss from No Country for Old Men. Honestly, uh, this could be, th this could even be higher on my list. It's a fantastic scene. Uh, brilliant, uh, uh, Javier Bardem's performance in this scene as Anton Chigurh is easily the standout uh, for me for uh, the scene. It's uh, he is so cold, so uh, there is nothing behind those eyes. And when he's talking to the uh, the gas station clerk, uh, he's gas station clerk is doing what any other gas station clerk would do, making making some small talk while he's. Uh, while he's uh, purchasing this candy bar, uh, while Anton is purchasing purchasing this candy bar, and uh, Anton immediately is just done with this, and he flips a coin, and the man doesn't know it, but this coin is going to decide his life, and it's just a brilliant moment of tension. The Coens uh, direct the scene so well; it's a brilliant uh, screenplay, and I cannot speak highly enough about Javier Bardem's performance in it. Great. Um, brilliant uh, attention. And I had this at number 62. Um, yeah, I, this is just like one of the most like tense inducing scenes. Like for essentially something that 
doesn't have any payoff. Just to create, just the amount, the, the way that the cones create tension is really effective. Um, what I think my favorite thing about the scene is probably the editing. Like the Coens edit their movies under the pseudonym Roderick James, and the way that you just don't know when it's gonna cut, and they just like to linger on each shot as long as they could before it gets boring. And the way that the camera will slowly zoom in and go into the tension when he reveals the coin toss. Um, and even just something as him putting the wrapper on the on the desk and it just like staying there, I just think it's really effective stuff. And I just love the last part of that scene where he just goes, don't put it in your pocket. It will become infected and become a coin, which is what it is. Like just that sort of stuff I find really effective. Um, yeah, just absolute tension just built in the scene without any sort of like spontaneous sort of uh, abrupt ending, uh, which is, I think works for the scene really well. Okay, uh, you're number 30, Jack, uh, The Graduate. Yeah, one of my pet peeves about romance and rom-coms is uh, the fact that you have endings like that where the characters basically turn their lives completely upside down. You know, they irresponsibly quit a job or leave, you know, town, move somewhere. And, you know, it just ends like, hey, this big happy, you know, thing that, you know, we're, we're supposed to assume that's going to go on forever and it's going to be fine and probably won't. And I love that this movie addresses that. Um, just the fact that it's like they, they get that moment to sit down and like you said, Cody, all-time great soundtrack overall, but in the scene, it's just fantastic. Uh, they use this song. Uh, the two of them kind of slowly come to the realization like, oh, what did we just do? And I love that it, and it, go, it goes like maybe 30 seconds longer than any other movie like this would. Um, and just the fact that like Justin Hoffman's character isn't a great guy, and he doesn't deserve like a super happy ending. So I kind of like the fact that he's it, it's left a little bit of a cliffhanger here. Uh, and then number eight, No Country. Um, yeah, this is probably Jack. You, I know you're doing one scene per movie. You probably picked the right one. Um, I love this scene. Um, I just love what it shows about the character of Anton Chigurh because he kind of sells himself as like being like just like having a code and being like all business and like it not being about him. And uh, but this scene, you see like he gets his he gets a kick out of like playing games with people's like literally with people's lives like he he enjoys it and you see that in this scene i think it really just speaks more than more than maybe any other scene in the movie it speaks to care to his character and who he really is so um great pick there um two solid picks and one got yikes could you move over to you for your your bottom three for the night and you are muted you are mute take a shot everyone Perfect. Um, okay, so my number thirty is I. Uh, I'm glad it was you from the Road to Perdition. I think that was like my. Uh, yeah, this is on my list before. But not my twenty nine is I did this really well with pairing this with um, uh, the roundtable that just uploaded this week. Uh, go check it out. Uh, I didn't do this on purpose, but uh, it's Viola Davis and Meryl Streep's. Uh, confrontation basically from doubt um and then uh my this movie was going to appear at some point it's a sit down or uh tell me uh i'll apologize when you apologize when you tell me when you were late uh from the irishman um okay so my 30 i'm glad it was you i think uh I didn't give this movie, I didn't give this scene enough credit when I first watched it, but rewatching it, I think, is a absolute, like, fantastic, like, shot, directed, uh, everything in a movie comes together in this scene alone. <clears throat> um, it slows down, 
you hear the ray, you hear the score kick in, you hear basically everybody getting, you've seen everybody getting gunned down, gunned down. And then Hanks is walking towards him. Uh, it's Paul Newman's character. Basically, if you haven't seen the movie, uh, Tom, uh, no, Daniel Craig, right? Daniel Craig is his son in this movie. Yeah, Daniel Craig uh, is a son. Paul Newman's son makes a terrible decision inside the movie. Um, ends up, uh, and he sides with the son, which is what he, most people would do. But it ends up basically costing him at the end of the day because um, uh, Tom Hanks walks towards him, and before he even turns around, the rain's falling, the scores, bill, you know, uh, getting louder, and you just hear Newman. I'm glad it was you. Um, and he turns around, like, basically to take him out. He, like, he knew it, who it was. He knew exactly everything about it, but he was glad it was in the takes out. I just think this scene is super powerful. I think it's Newman at the end of his career. Um, Hank's probably at, like, the one of the height of his career, and it's just, like, just overall, that scene is just so powerful. I love that scene. So, uh, Jake, you had it, I think. I had it at 94. Um, yeah, this is, like, I've always been a fan of this movie. Um, I just love the look. And, I mean, Cody, you're just sounding like me, talking about, like, the cinematography and the the, the, the direction. I love the rain. The, just the look of the scene is just so, like, effective. And just that sort of the emotional resonance between father and son, even though he's adopted, like, they have this strong connection, uh, more so than Newman's uh, actual son in the movie, uh, Jennifer Craig. Um and just the fact that like he just knows it's coming, you see it on his face. Like he got an Oscar nod for this uh, for the movie, and I think it's just like well well deserved. Um, and the, the cinematography is just like one of my favorites of any movie ever. And just the fact that it just holds on Hanks's face as he spoiler kills him is uh, really powerful stuff. Um, yeah, Cody, back to you. Uh, so my twenty nine is. Um... Uh, basically, Viola Davis and Meryl Streep is out. Um, again, we talked about this on Roundtable. Go check it out. Um, but this scene is so powerful. This is Viola Davis' one scene wonder. Basically, after the scene, I think it was at some award show that Meryl Streep said, get Viola her movie, get her own movie. Like, basically from, like, it's, she's so powerful in this one scene that she's in from this movie. But basically, <clears throat> I don't want to give too much away about that because I love, I think that's a, a super impressive movie but basically catholic church there's some questions on if the priest is uh having inappropriate behavior with her son he calls her in he calls she calls her in to have the conversation about it and it doesn't go the way Streep's character thinks it would is gonna go um basically Streep's like i'll basically looking for somebody to go like with her <clears throat> and it turns out that uh, Viola Davis is like, do like, do what you have to make it go away. Figure out a way. Do something with the priest. Don't do anything with my child. Basically, my child's been through enough. Like he has to make it to this time. Like his his dad will kill him. Like you have no idea. Like just move along. Just get it over the subject. And like. But Streep is like, I'm trying to help you, but she's like, no, you're hurting my child by doing this because it's the 60s, basically, in that time period. Um, uh, being a different race, he's lucky to be in that school. He got in there. He's, 
She's just putting him in that school to get him a better shot in the next school. It's just a super powerful scene. Viola Davis is one of the best actresses in the world, and you can see this on display in this scene. So that's my 28, 29. <coughs> and my 28... This could be higher. This might not be the scene for everybody from The Irishman. I love The Irishman way more than most people, and I know that. It's already in my top ten. I absolutely adore this movie. <coughs> but this is the scene with um, Al Pacino. Holy crap, can't think of the character he plays. Uh, Jimmy Hoffa. Uh, Jimmy Hoffa. Jimmy Hoffa and Tony Pro, basically the guy that he's in jail with previously, he sits there and has the conversation with him in prison about, see, the difference is you got it for fraud and thing is that I can't do anything, and they attack each other. He's basically looks like he's running back for the union. He needs him on his side, so he sits down. He shows up late to the meeting and the ensues inside the meeting. Basically, he's like... You show up late to the meeting. Yeah, that's how you show up in Florida dressed in a suit. Yeah, in a suit, of course I will. He basically sits there across from him and goes, um, apologize for what you said because what he believes he said at the table was a slur to him and his you know, race. And he says, uh, well, and De Niro's across the table. He's like, yeah, yeah, just say, say it and go on. He's like, all right, I'll apologize for that when you apologize for being late. And it ensues this fight and it breaks out and he ends up threatening to kill his granddaughter and everything like that. It's an insane scene, but I love it because I think it's Pacino acting that is full in this movie, like the ridiculous manner. So yeah, that's my scene. Okay, uh, yeah, Road to Perdition, great scene. Um, I think, Cody, you have is probably close to the right spot. Jake, yours is probably a little too low. Um, best scene of the movie. Uh, I love... So many great things about this, but I love Newman's character. Uh, I love how he's basically, he knows his son is no good, and that Tom Hanks is basically in the right. Uh, but he has side with his son. And I just love the interactions. Like, before this, the scene with, with uh, Hanks and Newman in the church, and uh, that two of them talking about it, and just knowing, like, understanding, like, I have, well, you know, this, you know he's your son, but he killed my son, so I got to take him out. And um, I got to do what I got to do. And it was like, well, I got to do what I got to do. But they they love each other like father and son. So just that connection that you followed up with this. Like you guys talked about the cinematography. I just love the um, the the sound. Like the, 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 there's no sound of the gun. The gun just silent. You just see the muzzle flash. You don't even really see Hanks. You just see the muzzle flash. And the guy's dropping around Newman. And then you have, you know, that 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 last scene with two of them. And it's like, again, this is this is the life we've chosen for ourselves, uh, as they say. And uh you know, th this is what it comes down to. It's like I, I completely understand why you're doing, why you, why you're killing me. Um, my son's got to go because he's a piece of crap, and because of that, I got to go. So that's just how it is. And I just love in these movies where you have that world and that uh, culture and people who completely understand it, play by the rules. Um, uh, doubt, uh, great scene, great movie. I wouldn't rewatch the uh, the roundtable episode. Is really good. Um, great conversation on it. Uh, check it out if you haven't. Um, I love the scene from an emotional and a story standpoint. This is a really might be the right pick for the movie. Um, but there's two other scenes in this movie, and they're both between Meryl Streep, Streep and Philip Seymour Hoffman. And just from a technical aspect, the acting and the and the skill you see there, to me, when I think about this movie, those are the first two things I think of. This one kind of like floats to the background. Um, but like everything you said, story wise, is absolutely correct. And um, there's no bad pick from this movie. 
Um, this might be a little high just because I put those other two higher, um, but still a pretty solid pick. Uh, and then The Irishman. Uh, I love this movie, too. I like it more every time I watch it. Uh, and it's a great scene. Uh, Stephen Graham is great as Tony Pro. And just that whole, you know, going back to the whole, like, mob culture, just that whole old school versus new school, them, you know, criticizing for how they're dressed, you know, how late you could be or how, you know, being on time. And, yeah, I, I was watching an interview, I think it was with Stephen Graham, and he said that there was a behind the scenes, the, the, originally De Niro didn't have any dialogue. And he looked over. He's like, I'm sitting at a table with Pacino and De Niro, and De Niro's not saying anything. That's that's ridiculous. So he just looked over. He's like, Bob, what would you say here? And that's where you get like, ah, oh, five minutes is okay. You know, the, the, the little the little things that De Niro inserts. Uh, that's where that came from. So that was, that, that's pretty cool. Just to know like how that that, that scene kind of came together. Um, but it's a great scene. Again, my, like you said, maybe not the scene from the movie, um, but totally understand why you picked it. Uh, so three solid picks for Cody. Over to Jake. Your bottom three. All right, let's see how this goes. Uh, my number 30 is the Nightmare Sequence from Trainspotting. Oh, the Weird Baby Nightmare, that's accurate as well. Uh, number 29 is... We can just Nightmare. do the whole movie. Right, well, part of it. Uh, the Climax to Blowout. And my number 28, funny enough, I also have a scene from my country for Old Men at 28, Jack. Uh, Moss Sugar Shootout. All right, go for it. So my number thirty, yes. Um, this is when Renton's uh, after this after his overdose, uh, said to Perfect Day by Lou Reed, uh, he's now suffering from drug withdrawal. Uh, his parents have locked him in his uh, childhood room, um, and just it's him going through basically every sort of emotion that he could possibly go through uh, in all the negative ways that he can, and he starts hallucinating people in his life. Uh, Spud is in jail. He sees. Uh, his uh, girlfriend, I guess, Diane, singing a lullaby uh, from Begbie, the sheets, just the way this scene is presented. You have that techno underworld music playing. It's called Dark and Long. It's a really awesome song. Um, play as the whole sequence just goes out. And it just feels like it goes forever. And I just feel like that's so effective to the scene. The way that the room sort of stretches, like there's a part where he's in bed and it just feels like it just goes forever. And that's sort of like his mindset at the moment. And there's obviously there's the part with the baby climbing up the wall, twisting its head, exorcist style, and then falling onto him. And he just like Ewan McGregor in the scene is just so so like just absolutely effective. The way he just like portrays sort of just the uh, anxiety and sort of the uh, the the fear that he has. Um, and I just think that um, it's just yeah really well shot. And I love how Daddy Bolt just has his all visual style to the scene. Really effective stuff, and then it just ends with a great time. That shot of him, uh, yeah, at uh, bingo or oh, um, with his family, and it's just like him staying still when everyone's just moving quick, quickly around him. I think it's uh, done really well. Uh, then 29 climax to blow out basically the only the ending, well, not, not part of the ending, but you know, uh, John Lithgow's got um, the chick from Robocop, I can't remember his name at the moment, I'm sorry. Uh, Nancy Allen, uh, there you go. Um, she's kidnapped. He's kidnapped her, and she's still got the mic recorded uh, on her. So Travolta's like trying to find out where she is in the city, and it's just going based on the music. He hears the fireworks. He drives through the city, um, and we just get like this. And it's all taking place during I think it's the Fourth of July weekend. So you go all the fireworks and all the red blue lights going around. Absolutely, like just tense. Like De Palma is known for the way he's able to create suspense and tension. Um, and I think this is like his magnum opus as far as that sort of stuff, because Lithgow is so effective as the killer and as the, uh, the antagonist, the way that you just, you want, 
I'm going to, I don't want to go too much in the spoilers, but I'll just say like, you want Travolta success. It makes you want Travolta succeed. And the way that the, the movie, play, the, that scene plays out is so effective to where he's just trying to find him. And the whole movie is about Travolta trying to get a scream for his, uh, this uh, horror movie. He's a sound guy and uh, he, he does get his scream at the end. And then 28, uh, the Moss Sugar Shootout. Uh, this is my favorite scene from No Country. Um, I do love those. I have three scenes on my list, but I really just love how the Collins are able to create such an effective shootout with, like, no music at all. The only sound that you hear in the movie is just the sounds of the guns. You have Sugar's, like, silencer shotgun and then Moore's, like, 12-barrel uh, shotgun. I love the way the scene starts out of uh, Moss in his uh, uh, room. And then you see the lights turn off and then bang, it just him goes out the window onto the streets. Uh, just the way that they shoot at each other and they just know that they're like one-on-one, that they're evenly matched. And the way that he gets into the car and then the guy and then Sugar, Sugar shoots the driver, all it's done so well. Um, I just think the sound of the movie is just like really effective and is the key to the scene. Um, yeah, just brilliant stuff. And just like a really effective stealth shootout the no music it's not trying to be like this uh energetic scene it's just trying to be very uh quiet i think it works uh really well okay uh train spotting scene i haven't seen this movie yet i've watched a lot of clips of it now because of your list um it's interesting uh the more i watch the more i don't think i would enjoy this movie just because it seems like it's just like drug you know so, like just drug withdrawal and like just screaming and yelling and suffering the whole time and craziness. Um, I don't know how into that I'd be for uh, feature length, but um, interesting scene. Um, I want to, you know, I think I need more context to like fully judge it. Um, the baby looks a little fake. I will say that. Um, but I think it's supposed to. Uh, the blowout climate uh, ending of blowout. Uh, this is a fantastic scene. Um, I haven't seen all the Palma, but from the De Palma that I've seen, like this is this that I've the, the movies that I've seen, this is the definitive scene that, that he's made for you to like you're saying making tension and you know, uh, building that, uh, just the cinematography with the fireworks in the background, everything. Um, great ending of this movie, just kind of a devastating, really devastated ending. Um, but it's a, it's a, it's a really solid ending as well. Just that, that, that I think, are they in DC? Are they Washington, DC? I think it's DC, yeah. Yeah, and it's 4th of July. Like you said, they got the parades and the music and the fireworks. Uh, great scene. Fantastic. Everything comes together so well there. Um, the no country scene, it's good. Um, I think you have a little high. Um, again, because I think the I, I think Jake or uh, Jack had the right uh, placement of the of the, uh, the coin toss. I think that's a little bit of a better scene. Um, it's a good shootout, um, but I don't know if it's top 30 worthy. Um, but I'm not I'm not gonna say it's bad. Uh, so Scott, we are gonna move over to you for your bottom three. All right. Uh, my number 30 was a previous yikes. It's uh, The Bride versus the Crazy 88 from Kill Bill, Volume 1. Uh, that is uh, on my... That is a yikes for this uh, top 10. This okay. Episode. All right. Uh, my 29 is the opening scene from Searching. And my 28 is the dueling national anthem scene from Casablanca. Yikes. All right. Didn't you already um, have so, this, Jack? Is this the you yet. have this previously? No, no okay. I don't think yet. so. I never okay. used it. Before, I thought, so. I thought did right. anybody have it? Oh, okay. I thought somebody had what? it. What? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh the opening scene from from searching. Yeah, as many uh people have said, this is um like basically the that scene from up 
that you know t- takes that long sequence about um, his her his wife dying. Uh, it's basically the digital version of that, the social media era version of that, um, because it is sort of the story of a short period in this family's lives um, told on computer screens, as of course the entire movie is told on computer screens. Uh, but the way that Anish Shiganti uh, tells you a story in seven minutes at the start of this movie without really any dialogue, uh, and again, just the what's on the computer screen is honestly genius and um you know i think um distinguishes it from obviously what's going on in up which is you know a great sequence in and of itself too but um just the way that um he uses like these little markers on the computer to um tell you know the story of what's going on again basically what we find out is that um david's wife john cho's wife um has contracted cancer um and we kind of see the progression of that and she you know is in remission at one point and then it comes back um and we're seeing these little snippets of their lives you know and you know at one point you know it's in remission and we see them running and they're you know having a great run as a family and obviously their daughter marga is part of this as well they're going to see her play piano it's just like little snippets of their lives and then we find out the cancer comes back um and there's just like it kind of concludes with like this really sort of devastating detail of we see a, you know, calendar on the computer and it says, you know, uh, mom comes home uh, basically uh, from the hospital and, you know, it starts on a particular day and then we see it get dragged down two weeks and then we just see it get deleted completely. And that's all we need to know, or that's all we need to see to know exactly what's happened. So it's, perfect sort of show not tell filmmaking and i can still remember watching this in the theater thinking i was just going in to see like you know a thriller and getting hit with this right out of the gate and being like whoa like this was an incredibly emotional sequence and i think you know what makes the movie so incredible throughout is that it really keeps that emotional um, through line going um throughout the entire thing um and so they set it up so well from the beginning could have easily just been like oh this is a great short film but they couldn't really make it a feature but no i think he successfully does all right that's the only one you're talking about tonight right or for, yep. for this okay um yeah i watched this movie for your top 100 uh and uh i, I thought like oh this movie is gonna be like a cheap gimmick and it's gonna be like just and I, there was a, they, they, I don't know if it's before or after this, but they did an episode of Modern Family like this where it was all on a computer screen. Um, so I, that's what I had in my head when it was uh, when I wanted to watch this. But um, I loved it. I thought it was great, and I think this that you you know the head. It's it's basically the up. It tells the whole story of the, you know this this time this family's life just from everything on the computer screen, um, and it just done so. Um, it uses so many different ways to tell it. There's so many different files and pictures, like you said, calendar dates and things like that. Uh, and it uses it uses the whole Buffalo basically when it comes to the computer. Like every program, every app uh, pops up and you know plays a part in in telling their story. I think it's really well done. Um, so this may be, uh, no, I won't say it's too high. I think it's this is a solid place for. It. I like I like his pick. Um, so that is everybody's bottom three. So we're getting the meat of the order, and uh, everybody's going to get to battle this one. Jack, we're coming back to you for your 27. All right. Uh, my 27 is the final vote from 12 Angry Men. Clarification, does this include? This This is juror number three's break, like where he totally breaks. Okay. Then, yeah. Then yikes. Yeah. Figured. Uh, 
just making 26, sure. Yeah, 26. Uh, now you know the ending from uh, the last weekend. Uh, yeah, this scene is fantastic. Uh, for those of you that aren't sure uh, what this movie is about, uh, Don Burnham, played by uh, Ray Milland, is a uh, struggling alcoholic, and he's at the absolute end of his rope in this uh, film, and specifically in this scene. He's traded his girlfriend's uh, coat, uh, girlfriend, whatever their relationship is, girlfriend, basically, uh, her, uh, her coat to uh, get back this gun he had given the pawn shop owner uh, a while ago, and... Uh, Helen St. James, played by Jane Wyman, finds out, rushes back to his apartment uh, to try to save him, and she tries everything to get him to not go through with this. She uh, and eventually tries to offer him uh, offer him a drink that she had hidden uh, somewhere in his apartment uh, when she found it. Uh, that doesn't work. Someone returns his typewriter that he had lost uh, after a fall. And she gets him to sit down and says, take everything that has happened to you this weekend and write it. Write it down. Put it all on the page and get rid of it that way. Just, And it's a just a moment of two people at the absolute end of the line. Uh, one of them uh, about to take his own life and uh, her just desperately trying to save it. It's a really harrowing moment. Uh, one of it's the scene that I think of every time I think of this movie, and I truly think it's one of the most important uh, movies to come out of its decade. It's it, it hits me every time. Okay, um, I like the first two thirds of this movie are great. I think they do a great job of sh you know showing how just how alcoholism, alcoholism destroys their lives. I think it's very realistic. I think it's very just visceral in the story tells. Last act, the ending starts to get way over the top melodramatic. And with this scene, like I can't hear anything going on in this scene because the violins are too loud. Literally, like the score just kicks in, and then you have that ending. And I, there's like, do they do the voiceover? He does the voiceover ending, right? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's the voiceover. Yeah, and it's it just—I mean—it starts to like go into like after-school special territory. And I don't know if this is the the case or not, but it's kind of like it feels like a haze code thing where they're like, "You better really hit that anti-alcoholism and anti-drinking thing really hard." And that came down from on high, and they like really because I mean, the rest of it feels like a Billy Wilder movie. The ending doesn't. The ending feels like there's somebody else, you know, involved in this. Um, so. Uh, good, uh, good movie overall. I don't love this scene. Uh, everybody else on the end of uh, Lost Weekend. I haven't seen Lost Weekend. Me either. Uh, I love the movie. It's very, it's a very personal movie for me. Um, I don't know if I would have picked anything from it. I like the overall movie. I don't know if I could pick a scene. Um, the ending is good, but I don't think it's like this high or this list worthy. <clears throat> all right uh jack i'll take us to your number 25 all right uh my number 25 there were at least two other scenes uh from this movie fighting for a spot on this list but uh at the end of the day i went with Lecter's escape from the silence of the lambs 
Uh, yeah. Just a brilliant moment. Uh, so Lecter uh, is held outside of... Uh, uh, the, it's been a while since I've seen the movie, but he's being held outside of his cell uh, because he had to be moved for uh, for a reason which I can't remember right off the top of my head. But uh, Clarice visits him, and uh, as, and after Clarice visits him, he acquires a paperclip from her without her realizing it, uses that to unlock his handcuffs, and. Uh, kills both guards, cuts off one of their faces, wears it, and escapes in an ambulance after uh, they uh, they uh, take him there because they can't find the other guard who he had hidden in the elevator, uh, in the roof of the elevator. And it is just the most horrifying moment in the movie because you see, well, one of the most horrifying moments. There's some other moments for sure but this is where you truly see just how dangerous dr lecter is and the what he what he is capable of uh anthony hopkins sells this uh performance this scene and the moment after he bites the guard's nose off and he's just standing there uh with the record playing and he goes takes the baton from the other guard and beats them to death with it one of the most horrifying moments in that movie for me is him just standing there all calm with the music playing over it uh and then as soon as he sits up in the ambulance uh i feel like my heart just skipped a beat while seeing that and i had to take a long break from that movie it's a that's a incredible scene great tension It's a solid scene. Did anybody else have this? Uh, it's a solid scene yeah. as far as just like showing what the character is capable of. Um, and I love Hopkins' performance. There's a, there's a part of this. It's real subtle. And it's, it's, it's easy to miss. But when he's when they're when they're uh, putting the handcuffs on him to lock him to the cage when they get in, um, he does this thing where he just he he like looks off to the side. And his eyes just go dead. And it just like he's not like doing he's 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 got like a million things going on his head, obviously, because he's about to escape for the you know, he has this whole plan to carry out, but his eyes just go completely dead, and he gets this far-off stare at his face, and he looks like a just absolute psychopath. Like it looks like I totally buy exactly what he's supposed to be there. Um as far as the rest of the scene goes, I've I'm on record as good as this movie is, I don't love Demi's direction of it. And I think this scene is a part of it. I think it's just too, it's the, it's it just too clean. Like it's even like when he slashed these guys and taken them apart, it's a little too stylized. And it's, I just, it's not. What did he say? It's not, uh, it's not dirty enough for this character. It's not messy enough. Um, so it's not bad. And I respect everybody who likes it. I respect everybody who likes the movie. Um, I am a Manhattan fan. You're right, Garth. Um, but and I, I don't. I don't think he has no stylized shit whatsoever. Uh, it's but it's it's a lot rougher around the edges than this one is. Um, <laughs> Michael, but, uh, famously not stylistic at all. <laughs> but um, but that's just my take on it. I don't hold it against you for having it. I don't have it against you for having this high. Um, everybody else on the escape scene from 
Sense of Limbs. Uh, scene, not movie. I think it's a great scene. Um, I really, uh, you know, it's it's very terrifying, as uh, Jack said. I think any, I mean, any scene with Hopkins in this movie is, some would say, the only highlights of the movie. But uh, that's just me. But uh, he's great in the scene. I know I'm in the minority on this, but I love the classical music as well in the in the background. It really just sort of like, uh, it's a nice. It's a nice, like, discordant note, obviously, with what's going on in the scene. Uh, scene and movie, uh, I think, are incredible. Um, yeah, I know there's a little bit of, there's some stuff that hasn't aged uh, well with Science of the Lambs, but uh, I do think that a lot of the movie is incredibly effective, and this is finally, like, the big scene for Lenta, as far as the fact that this is sort of, like, sequel bait as well with the ending. Like, I'd known about, the, you know, I'm having an old friend for dinner, but I didn't know sort of the context i knew a bit of the context but not the entire thing so no when he does escape i just think it's done so well the fact that you think he's in the elevator the way they set that up and then oh no it's actually the dead the, the person you think is like slowly dying uh and that reveal in the ambulance where he just reveals them up his up uh, the face off and then and then it's him um yeah i think it's really it's done well i, I always think of demi as uh naturalistically stylized in that he does have a little bit of a flair to him as a filmmaker. And I think his strengths are when he works with, uh, with actors, um, but he just like, and, and obviously the, uh, the, 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 the look to camera shot that he kind of got from Kubrick, I think is, is done really effectively in this and Philadelphia. But yeah, I'm, I just think this uh, whole scene is like absolutely effective. I remember watching uh, this with my mom and brother and just, they were like really into it and engaged by it. And I just think that's like part of why this movie is so, beloved but yeah uh great scene well note to self don't let jack pick one of your favorite movies of all time so again completely shredded live on screen um uh i had this scene for a while um i took it off one i don't know if jack knows what part of the movie this is in like at all because how he's describing it is he's brought in as like a surveyor like he's put into like a makeshift cell like in the middle of a like a, a building like yeah. it's not a like Okay, well, how you're describing had no clue or no deciding what happens. He gets fed dinner, um, gets hanging, and then beats a shit. And then I, I just I couldn't disagree more with Kirk about like how sloppy or how messy it needs to get. Like it's kind of like the the thing of Lecter is like he like as he's like slowly like whipping the club and blood splattering everywhere. I just think that's as messy. He bites the nose off of a guy, like, and sprays it with pepper spray. I don't know, like, if unless he paints himself with blood, um, maybe that's what. But he does because he puts a mat face off and then rips it off and then kills the guy in the thing. Overall, I thought the scene really good. I think there are better scenes from this movie. I, I do. Um, there are ones that I will have obviously later, but um, it was on my list, so I can't say it's it's a bad scene. It just it fell off. All right. All right. Uh, Jack, that takes us to number 24. All right. Uh, my 24 is uh, spoiler alert, by the way, if you haven't seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, uh, it's Chief's Escape from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, final scene, ending, whatever. Uh, this scene is it's the perfect ending to this movie because uh, 
uh, Randall McMurphy has been lobotomized at this point. Uh, and Chief, the uh, basically, McMurphy is the only person that Chief has really spoken to because everyone else in the facility thinks he can't speak. Uh, McMurphy's the only person that he's spoken to. He's the really, uh, he's the first real friend that that Chief uh, has had, and um, and he's at, and he's just snatched away from him, taken away, and lobotomized, and he's laying there, and he and Chief uh, takes a pillow, smothers McMurphy with it, killing him, and then goes over to the bathroom uh, and does what Randall had tried to do towards the start of the film, which is pick up the fucking massive sink in the center of it and chuck it out the window and escape. And uh, and Christopher Lloyd's reaction to what happens, uh, I, yes, Garth, this is correct. Uh, uh, Christopher Lloyd's reaction to, what, uh, to, to this happening is absolutely perfect. He just starts just cheering and laughing it's the perfect end to this movie we finish with chief just running away from from the facility it's a great ending and truly devastating because of what he had to do to mcmurphy yeah it's great ending the movie um i love the callback like you said about with the sink because there's that scene it's kind of played for last when uh McMurphy's like, I want to, you know, what are we going to do? Well, I'll just take this sink. He's, you know, comically trying to lift it up. Um, you know, no way he could do it. And then, you know, they bring it back here and Chief just does it like he could have done it any time. And, um, yeah, I just love the relationship between these two characters. It's just devastating uh, how it ends um, to see like that. It's just how alive McMurphy uh, was the whole time. Was the time, And then to have this happen to him um, is just so hard to watch. And just Chief be the one to have to take him out. Um, after they develop that relationship. So, yes, uh, strong ending, strong scene. Um, good pick. Everybody else on the uh, end of Cuckoo's Nest. It's been a while since I've seen one play with the Cuckoo's Nest. Um, it's a really effective scene. I like it. Um, there's like a, one or two scenes from the movie I like more. This movie, I overall, I get the praise, I get the hype, I, I get all that stuff for it. It just never rises to like a level of me like loving it. There are performances, there are scenes, there are there are like Nurse Ratchet, like it's in the film, you know, conversation all the time. It just never rises. So when I was thinking, it didn't really like click in my head. So I respect the film a lot more than I like the film, but. Yeah, it's a great scene. It's a, um, especially people that have never seen it before. That first time is just like, whoa! I love the scene. I love the movie. Um, it captures like all of the conflicting emotions that you're feeling throughout the entire movie in this one scene. I will say that I read the book before I saw the movie, and I do like this scene just better in the book. I mean, it's a weird comparison, perhaps, but you go on a longer and you know, more um, involved journey with the characters, obviously, in the book. And so it feels even more rewarding um, when you get there. But I think they did as, you know, great a job as possible in the constraints of a film portraying this moment. All right. Um, could let's go over to you for your number 27. 
my number 27 is um, the guilt of the world speech from Judgment of Nuremberg. Um, I think the, this movie's one really hard to find, so uh, I get it for a lot of people who haven't seen it yet. Um, I love this movie. Um, I'm kind of a World War II, like, I love everything, not everything about World War II. Let's not get it out on the record. What? I mean, I love learning about World War II because I think it's one of the most, like, interesting times, like, how such, like, terrible things were happening all over the country and we're just, uh, stuff was just getting away with. Um, and this is one, um, I'm also a big fan of, like, court cases. I, like, love watching, you know, uh, uh, court and stuff like that. And to think about being the defense lawyer um, for the Third Reich seems like some of the hardest job ever. And Maximil Schell, he won the Oscar for this, is the Guilt of the World speech in this movie. Basically, he's called to defend the people for the crimes of the Nazi party. And he basically says, and it's, I mean, he, it makes sense of what he's saying, but it's the thing is, is it England to blame? They heard the, the publications of the Third Reich and did nothing. The, the, his rise to power, you, like everybody, everybody heard it. Everybody saw it. Everybody just turned a blind eye to it for the longest time. And now this is the crime. He gives an impressive speech. Again, I don't, I would never even come close to doing it justice, so I would just tell you to go check it out. But when he does the Guild of the World speech, it's absolutely in that movie. There's a few speeches. Burt Lancaster has one. Um, uh, Spencer Tracy, I think, is the over, like, if I remember correctly, is like the, the, the head judge, um, which is such a powerful movie, and it's such a hard subject matter. So, yeah. I haven't watched this movie. Well, I haven't watched this high school where I like half paid attention to it and probably, you know, watch it like 30 minute increments over a week. Um, so I don't have much memory of it. But uh, I, I, it's something I really want to watch because I'm so fascinated by, just like you said, the idea of not just the Holocaust happened, but how did it happen? How was it allowed? Uh, you know, a lot of things, a lot of things had to be done wrong for something like that to happen by a lot of different people. Um, Watched a movie this year. Could I would recommend this year movie called Voyage of the Damned? It's about this um, cruise ship. Have you heard of it? It's about this cruise ship that, uh, in Germany, and they basically load a bunch of Jewish people on it. It's a P, basically it's a PR move. They don't really expect, they're not really planning on helping them or doing anything for them. But it's like here we're letting a bunch of, of, of Jewish people escape, and um, they kind of uh, a lot of things happen. But the the boat ends up taken over by the Jewish people, and they're trying to figure out a way. Like they're trying to just look for a place to make port and, and get these people up and no one will take them. They go to America, they go to South America, they go to these different places and no one will take them. Again, that's the thing, like, you realize how devastating it is, like, you know, obviously Germany was where the Holocaust was happening, but there was no safe place for these people anywhere. And, you know, there was a lot of people who could have done something and didn't. Um, so I digress on that, but everybody else on the uh, Guilt of the World speech, Judgment Nuremberg. I have not seen the movie. I haven't seen it. Well, I probably will in a couple weeks, but haven't yet. I saw it a long time ago when I was in high school or something on TCM. I don't remember it enough, but I really want to rewatch it. Every time it comes up, I am like, I need to rewatch this because obviously I love courtroom stuff. And uh, this period is also like responsible for some of my favorite films. So I think it would hit a lot more for me on rewatch. 
All right, Cody, we got next. Uh, my 26 is Red's Parole from the Shawshank Redemption. Um, basically, Red, uh, Morgan Freeman's character, has been up for parole numerous times throughout the movie. Um, he finally goes in there um, after Andy gets out, um, after he escapes, and he sits down, and the guy across the table is like, have you been rehabilitated? And he's like, I don't know what that word means. Um, and he's like, and he starts explaining, he's like, I know what you think it means, and what I think it means is I wish I could sit there and talk to the kid that did that horrible crime. I wish I could, like, you know, tell him that, you know, to stop him from doing what he did, but I can't. So at the end of the day, I don't give a shit what you do. Like, if you if you give me approval, great. If you don't, I don't give a damn. It's just such a, like, a scene. He's lost his best friend in there. He's already in jail forever. He probably is not getting out. He just basically tells him exactly how he feels. And, like, it's one of the true, like, character moments of that film that I love. So, Red Pearl. Yeah, I just love how it's, you know, it, it, this is what, like, the third or fourth parole hearing he's had through the movie. And everyone, he basically tells them what they want to hear, and he gets rejected. And then, you know, he just speaks his mind. That's what that's what he gets out. Um, I think this might be a little high just because there's so many good scenes from Shawshank. And I think there's a lot better scenes. I think every, a lot of the stuff that comes immediately after this um, is, is better than the scene itself. Um, but, again, with Shawshank, you can't go wrong. So I'm not going to hold that against you. Uh, everybody else on the report, uh, pro hoying scene from Shushink. It's a great this scene. Uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead, Jack. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a great scene. One of my favorites from the movie, but I already uh, yikes my pick from the movie. So. Yes, you did. This is probably my favorite scene. Um, like Kirk said, there's you know you're spoiled for choice a little bit, but um, yeah, I mean I really like you know the portrayal of prison in this movie and this you know really gets right to the crux of there's not any rehabilitation to be had um in a place like this just like uh cody mentioned that the what whatever they say is the primary goal of prison um is certainly not achieved by the way that it actually plays out in practice and um just to see that confronted so openly um with in, in you know through morgan freeman's dialogue is um one of my favorite things about the movie it really i think shows prison for what it is and that's the cause that i'm you know passionate about uh yeah this is a great scene i mean morgan freeman is really good but nico rigoli doing the monologue to the scene is like infinitely better so like right, you have to compare there's obviously a better version of this <laughs> I... emotional damn it, damn it. <laughs> i'm kidding um uh, but not in all seriousness. This is like such a great scene. Um, I think this is the scene where you like, you know, in the Oscar clips. I can't remember what '94 was like, but or '95. But this is the scene that you play when you announce Morgan Freeman uh, during the Best Actor lineup because um, it's he's just really great and just the simplicity of the camera work and then just the whole monologue that he goes into. Like, there's not a gate. There's not a day goes by when I don't think about the that scene that what I did. And I think it's just really yeah effective. Uh, there is just one thing that I think is better, uh, which is me. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, Cody, that takes us to your number 25. Nothing I love in movies more than something that you just want to scream at your TV 
when it happens, if you're watching with a bunch of people, you have to like mute yourself or go into a corner and talk because you don't want anybody, you don't want to ruin the movie for anybody. It's not the scene that I've done one time with another person on call, but this is another one. It's number 25. It's Maximus's speech from Gladiator. Yes. I had that earlier. He walks when walking Phoenix, the bitch himself, walks down to the pit and goes and talks to Gladiator. And he's like, why am I talking to his son all happy and all, you know, nice? And he's like, oh, well, like Hercules. Like, why doesn't Gladiator show? And he walks away from me. He's like, don't turn your back on me. And like, he literally just takes off the helmet. You see the Russell, and then Russell Crowe turns around. Like, you know, his wife stands up. Like, every the score starts to lift. And then he's like, I'm Maximus Decimus Meridius, you know, commander of the armies of the north, uh, the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius. Um, and then he starts walking towards him as like a husband to a murdered wife, uh, father to a murdered son, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. You're just like, fuck yeah. Just kill him right there. Stab him. Um, then, of course, Joaquin, uh, and whatever the character, I can't think of his name, Joaquin Phoenix's character, basically is like communist, puts him up, and then the, the crowd is basically unruly because they're with Gladiator at that point. They don't want to, and then he gives them the thumbs up in the scene. I think it's just absolutely just like a it's <coughs> it's similar. Somebody had the last duel scene, right? Last the end of the side of last duel. It's like that, but I mean this was first, but it's like when he's like, Then you be damned and he like kills him and you just like scream out like this is one of those moments. Love it. Gladiator, still fantastic to this day. Yeah, uh, this is my 31, and I can't agree enough with uh, everything Cody has said. It's a just one of the biggest fuck yeah moments in movies for me. Every time I see this movie, I can't help but just cheer. It, it It's a fantastic moment. Great monologue. Uh, and the second he takes his helmet off and turns to Joaquin Phoenix, you just see the life drain from Joaquin Phoenix's face just he he knows he is screwed and so when uh that monologue is just perfect uh when when he says i will have my vengeance in this life for the next yes i i i love this scene so much i watch it all the time it's a great moment yeah one of my favorite things about gladiator is just the way it plays out where Commodus, the emperor, is beholden to the mob, and you know, just just the, the the role the mob plays and how he kind of has to, he can't just kill him outright. And you know, Maximus knows that he he's playing the game too. Like he's learned how you know he's worked his way up you know, from the minor leagues to, to this, so he knows how it works. Um, and that's why he's able to make this speech. Um, so I just love that 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 back and forth between here. Like Commodus is scared, like he's the emperor, he can just kill the guy. But he can't in front of the crowd because he, the, the whole reason he's doing this is to to, to win the crowd over. So um, I just love that little like cat and mouse game there. Um, but yeah, it is just a great character moment, especially after everything Max is with the, the, through. You know, you know, being betrayed and you know losing his family and everything. So um, very solid moment, very fun moment. Uh, Scott and uh, Jake, you guys did not have this. Uh, what's your explanation on that? Um, I enjoy the movie. This is one of those like youtube scenes that you just like go watch on youtube every now and then uh 
because I don't rewatch the movie that much. It is long, and you know there are slow passages in there. But that's kind of what makes this scene like, you know, so good because it, so much has built up to this, and a lot of it is more quiet, understated, I suppose. Um, and then for this moment, for or at least the character is for the, for the character to just sort of um, put it all out there like that um, is, you know, it's an epic moment. I I don't. Um, don't fault anyone for the pick. I assumed it would come up. Yeah, um, I, I love the movie. Uh, and I, don't know if, I love is a strong word. I, I think the movie's great. Um, yeah, uh, I do think this is like such a great reveal, especially at this point. Like, this is uh, Maximus finally like face to face with Commodus. Like after all that had happened before, and finally gets to reveal that like, I'm still alive, bitch. Um, is uh, really effective stuff. Um, yeah, it's a great scene. I'll have my mentions in this live build next. Awesome. All right, Cody. Uh, 24. Already had a movie uh, scene from this movie. Um, I couldn't do the one scene without the second scene. Um, I think it's the best scene from the movie. Um, it's Fences. It's uh, same spot as you. It's Viola. Some people will refer to it as the snot scene. Um, I'm going to refer to it as Viola kicking ass in the scene. Winning the Basically... Winning the Oscar. This is the scene that won her the Oscar. <clears throat> Basically, Troy, um, he's found to have uh, an affair and has a girl pregnant. Um, and she comes home, and they're basically confronting in the backyard. And he's like, he kind of tries to like pass it off and like put it on her. It's like, you know, like I've been standing here for eighteen years. And, like, it's hard to explain that I've just been standing still for eighteen years. And that's when she like screams, I've been standing with you. But I stood with you by your everything. By I knew that you weren't a good person. I knew you weren't happy. I knew you were a miserable person, blah blah. I knew everything about you. But I can I stuck by you. I stood right next to you. I stood right toe and toe. I I knew that I put all this I water water the your heart and I knew nothing would grow. I knew you were the but I've been here. Like and she like pours her heart out that it's just basically a person that stood by somebody that didn't love her in the same way that she loved him, but she never wavered. She didn't want to, she knew that there were better things out there. She didn't, you didn't think she wanted to be loved by somebody or actually cared for, but she stood by him and basically standing by him for 18 years, got her nothing and got him just this. And it basically is the same scene that shows like Denzel's like uh, Troy is just crumbled because he's lost the one support that he has. And he th he's normally been able to talk or work his way out of something, but this is just it. She's just, it's over. Um, I think it's such a powerful scene. I think she's so, so impressive. I think she, I, her acting ability is like insane. I think she's one of the best actresses that's ever done it and is currently working right now. I think she's that good. Yeah, uh, this is just so real and so raw. Um, her, you know, you talking about the smut, the snot, the tears, and everything. Um, it's just so real. Like she just brings so much real to it, and it doesn't sound like written words. Like it sounds like because she just keeps repeating herself, and um, it doesn't. Sound, it's not a real flowery speech or anything like that. It's just her like pouring her heart out in the you know limited way this character is able to. Um, you know, finally after all this, um, you know, like you said, after all those years, finally get those feelings out. And um, she's great, but I think Denzel's really good in it. Um, just his reactions. Um, you know, when she starts talking about, you know, I've instead it's still with you. There's a kind of a two shot with them looking at each other, and you see his face, and his face just drops. Like he's 
realizing for the first time that she's a person too and that she's been going through the same stuff he has. It's like it's never even occurred to him. It just hit him. And then the kind of camera kind of goes behind her over the shoulder, and it's faced him directly, and you see he's, like, hardened himself. And he's like, you think I haven't given you anything, blah, blah, blah. And so, like, and he, he reverts back. Like, he covers those feelings up again and reverts back to that. So both of them just so – I mean, this I mean, I compare this to those scenes I was talking about in Doubt where just you just have two powerhouses just – doing it you know again based on you know another play-based movie um and you know they're making the best of it again uh bonus points august wilson pittsburgh writer pittsburgh film movie bonus for that everybody else on the same spot as you haven't seen fences uh i have it's been way too long uh since it came out um i do remember this scene like well enough to be like yeah this is like i don't think it's a deserving win it is sort of like category fraud i've had discussions with people about the fact that like she should kind of be in the best actress lead, but also Emerson was going to win, so it's like it's a whole thing. Oh, but uh, yeah, I do think that yeah, she's really great in the scene. Yeah, this is the one scene I remember. Though I do, you know, like the movie. Um, I think Viola Davis was the perfect person for this role because you need, especially in this scene, you need somebody who can stand up to somebody as powerful as Denzel and like believably go you know toe to toe and put him in his place a little bit and i don't think there's many people who could do that but she certainly could and i echo cody's thoughts about her in general as an actress all right uh jake that's gonna bring us over to you for your 27 uh this is the scene that scott and i get to talk about uh the bride versus the crazy 88s from kill bill oh so do i jeez <laughs> Um, yeah, this is like one of the best action scenes ever put to film. Uh, this is a scene I remember being, I don't know, 13, 14, uh, watching it for the first time and just being uh, just in awe of this movie. I watched this movie not even knowing who really, really who Quentin Tarantino was until Django and Pulp, as I watched when I watched Django and Pop Fiction, but like watching this and just being like, this is what I want. I've always loved like just samurais and sword fighting and all that sort of stuff as a kid. And this is just finding just the bride versus, it's not really 88 people, but they, they as we find in volume two, it's just the name sounds cool. Um, just everything about the scene, the buildup, you have everyone surrounding her. And then you have the scene where she pucks, she gets the guy's eye out and then goes into black and white. And just this whole sequence plays out as she flips around moving of the scenery you have some music play throughout the scene and it goes into the like the scene with the blue background it's just the silhouettes of each of them fight it's done so well it's the perfect length for this type of scene where it's like i don't know like ten, i don't know eight minutes ten minutes um really effective stuff i just have always this is a scene that i would just watch like all the time in in high school like on our like study breaks and shit so i'd be just watching the scene because i got nothing better to do but um, yeah, everything about it is just really is really effective. The part where she like flips around on the floor and just starts chopping everyone's legs off. It's just <laughs> fucking funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, just um, really good stuff. I've, I've always loved uh, Kill Bill. It's one of my it's it's my favorite Tarantino. Um, and this is one of the best scenes that he's ever made, in my opinion. And who? Uh, yeah. I had it next time. You had it tonight. Yeah, good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like Jake said, this is one of those scenes, like, when you watch it for the first time, it's, like, a religious experience. Like, you're watching, you're, you're like, this is probably the greatest thing I've ever seen. Um, and it, it's up there, for sure. Um, you know, just the insane, over-the-top, like, gleeful choreography of it is 
um, pretty much unmatched. Um, and you know, it really, it really captures what I love about a lot of Tarantino's movies again, which is just sort of the showiness of them. And the fact that he is not afraid to just be like, look at me, I'm making a movie. Right. And somebody, you know, of course, you know, the average audience member is going to be like, oh yeah, well, the bride is not going to kill, you know, 50, 60 people or whatever. Of course not. She's just one person. And he's just kind of like, well, why not? It's a movie, right? If we want to make it happen, we can make it happen. And um, he he does. And yeah, you know, all of the just insane acts of violence, ripping people's eye, uh, you know, ripping the guy's eye out. He, she splits the one guy like straight in half. Um, it's just so much fun to watch. Well, right? mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's just so much fun to watch. Um, I won't add a lot. This was my 77. Um, uh, I think uh, the only thing is different is this says Kill Bill Volume 1. Mine would be the whole bloody affair because um, it's one cohesive unit. Um, but show, buddy. <laughs> um, still counts. It was on your show. It was clearly on your show. I, I did it on your show. Um, uh, this scene is just absolutely chaos. I'm not a bit into like a big martial arts like movies and stuff like this. This is like one of the first ones that I remember seeing. I'm hoping to change that, you know, with watching more movies, but yeah, this is just absolute chaos and craziness and what they're able to achieve in the scene. And like, it's, it's basically overkill, but it never feels like that the entire time. Like the scene could be even longer. I'd be okay with it. Just what they're able to achieve in the scene is just absolute brilliant. So yeah, they said everything else. So. And Jack, you didn't have it, right? Okay. Um, of course. Um, no, I love this scene. I think it's a great pick. I'm glad you all had it. Um, one of the all time great fight scenes and like either Scott or Jake said, this is like the best of how Tarantino does it. Just that over the top. Like, this is like the personification of it's so much fun, Jan, like just (laughs) complete, like just, just complete, like body parts flying everywhere. And I love how they go black and white. Like they kind of had to, because there's no way they're that much blood. They're getting already without going black and white, but they do it stylistically. And they, like you said, with the the different backgrounds and silhouettes, um, all the different stuff. And also, you know, this is maybe the best example of um, Tarantino borrowing from other movies. He loves, you know, there's Bruce Lee in here. There's Kurosawa in here. A lot of different influences you see uh, just brought together. Uh, to make something new and something great. Um, so, yeah, this is a fantastic fight scene. Uh, Jack, you didn't have it. Tell me why. Oh, it's a great scene. It was on an early draft of my list. Uh, it just it got cut. Great scene. Don't fault anyone for having it. Honestly, yeah, it, it could be on my list on any other given day. But All right. Uh, Jake, number 26. Number 26. Um <laughs> This is a weird one. I'm, I'm happy that I have this. This is like one of the funniest scenes I've ever had in my entire Top 100. Uh, ever since I was a kid, I really watched this scene a lot because of my parents. Um, it's the broadcast sabotage from Bruce Almighty. Uh, tell me about a scene that is one of the best ever as far as comedy goes. Um, I, as friend with Jim Carrey, um, Basically, he's upset that Steve Carroll got the anchor job instead of him, and he now has got power, so he's just basically going to fuck with him during his first like uh, uh, time as the anchor. Uh, he plays with the teleprompter, gets him to say shit like, my tiny little nipples went to France, and 
all this stupid shit uh, makes his voice squeak, makes him fart. It's just, and then he ends with him just making him speak gibberish. Um, I have, there are very few times I've laughed more than Steve Carell going, <laughs> that shit just always got me as a kid. Uh, it's just really like fun, just also power play. The fact that he has God powers and he can just mess with anything. Um, and the way he fucking does it with, with uh, Steve Carell, uh, I do the cha-cha like a sissy girl. Uh, the shit's just really funny to me. Um, I I remember my mom tells a story that when her and my dad were on a plane, they had that movie play in the, in the, air, in the airplane. And that was like the scene that everyone was watching and everyone was just laughing <laughs> during that scene. Um, it's just, yeah, really funny. And the way that it's just, the way that Jim Carrey is also able to just like, um, uh, like play with um with Steve Carell is just really great. Um, yeah, uh, it's funny. I love it. It's just it's a really simple scene, but it's just the 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 comedy uh that's in it is just hilarious. Um, I love this. I watch the scene every now and then. It's um it's it's the best. It's I mean, it's it's fart jokes and gibberish is what it comes down to. <laughs> um, and that's funny. It, it's, it's 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 is it funny? Yeah. Is it top thirty all time funny? No. Is it top thirty comedy scenes all funny? No. If you'd had this in your if you'd had this like in your high nineties, it'd be like okay, that's fine. But top thirty in your top thirty, that's crazy. Um, it's not that funny. Everybody else on this scene from Bruce Almighty. I do the cha cha like a sissy girl. <laughs> um, I've been on record, uh, Steve Carell, I can watch probably like an hour of Steve Carell just laughing, um, and I think he's literally one of the funniest human beings that has ever graced the screen. Um, I forgot all about this movie. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you, I just did. Um, for some reason, like, my family really liked Evan All Might. Um, I like that. That's fucking crazy. Well, I can't, I, I can't, I can't, you can't pick your family, all right? You can choose how much you talk to them after you move out, but you can't choose them. Um, but, uh, yeah, when he does that, like, I, I still would cry to this day. I'm pretty sure. So, 26, I think it's low. You have the bride versus crazy 88, and then right next to you, have the, there's just no, like, level to where you put things, which is great. So, hats off to you. <laughs> so uh yeah this scene is great it's the only scene from the movie i've ever seen uh but uh, it made me laugh every time i saw it it's been a while but thank you for putting it back in my head <laughs> i saw evan almighty though don't know why i've never seen this and uh just based on the description I'll pass. But What's the first half? First half, and then don't watch the second half. It sucks. Sure. I won't watch either, but thank you. <laughs> All right, Jake. Uh, 25, please. Okay, so I, I love The Bride versus Credit Yates. That's a great action scene, but there's one action scene that I think is even better than that. Uh, you know, when you work... <laughs> I can't have that. I sell this. Um... I'm just going to say, it's the Angels versus Creepy Thin Man from Charlie's Angels. It's just fucking awesome. I love the scene. I have always been a fan of Charlie's Angels as a kid. Uh, nothing is better than an action scene set to Prodigy Smack My Bitch Up. 
uh, and the way it plays out, the fact that it's three, it's the angels versus creepy thin man. He's got a sword. Um, I just love the fact that the film doesn't care about r realism. The fact that there's a lot of great wire work, like the film knows what it is. It's trying to be campy while also trying to be cool and have the action that you want to see as a teenage boy. Um, and I think the fact that Crispin Glover was like in the, I love the, the character of creepy thin man is so interesting and so weird uh, originally in the script they he had dialogue but Christian Glover was like this dialogue sucks can I just have him not say anything and then they him and McGee talked about the fact that maybe he has like a hair fetish and so they kind of had that play into the movie um I just think it's fun it's great um it's just something that I love watching um while I'm getting drunk or on some other thing uh with this movie um it's just absolutely exhilarating um and I have like a, a massive nostalgia with this movie I remember pretending to be sick um from school when i was like eight or nine and i just stayed home and ate ice cream and watched charlie's angels and i just that's like the memories that i i, I have of this movie and it's it's awesome how dare you sir <laughs> <laughs> you put this after like just even if you really feel that way you really should have just put the crazy 88s before after this just to just to save face because that may i mean this is far anything else God awful pick, terrible, terrible, embarrassing pick. But to have it two spots away from Crazy Eighty Eight is insane. Between this and the rundown, Jake, you love fight scenes with awful editing. Um, there's no bad. Will, there's the editing. What are terrible. You it's terrible. It's they jump and they fly. They're hitting. They're kicking. It makes no there's sense. There's nothing to do with the editing. There's it's no, the wire there's, work. It's not trying. Yeah, to the wire work is garbage because it's be cut fun. together. Terror. The wire works garbage. The editing garbage. Everything is bad. I'm I'm glad to hear that Crispin Glover took the edit the the dialogue out because I'm sure the dialogue sucked because all the dialogue sucks in this movie. No, um, so I'm glad. I'm thankful for this less. There's a little bit less of it. So there's that. But I I'm not gonna buy Crispin Glover as like this like ninja assassin. Get the heck out of here with that. That's complete nonsense. That's why it's funny. He's um, so effective, though, because of his, but, uh, like, the, yeah. the seriousness as an actor. Yeah, this is this is awful. This is, I think, your second pick for this movie. That's too, too many. Um, but, yeah, the wire work, it's not even good wire work. It's, like, obviously, like, just ridiculous and does it, oh, so bad. Stylized. It um, everybody else on uh, this scene from, you can pass if you want. So... I haven't seen the movie. I'm just really curious. Is Creepy Thin Man his name in the movie or just yes. of his character? Because I'm I'm confused about it. He is Creepy is Thin Man. Okay. He, I think his name is what, Anthony what is when you find it in the second one with Carrie, where Carrie Fisher says I think his name He's is obsessed Anthony. with women's Anthony, hair. Women hair. That's a uh, that's a running thing. Um, was one scene too late. Kirk is right. It is ridiculous. And that's what makes it great. Um, I think we brought it up er earlier when you had that other scene. I said, you better have this one on here. And you did, thankfully. Uh, I knew you would. But yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. I just love the over-the-top choreography and the random flipping and kicking and everything for no reason. The song choice is insane. Could only have put into, been put in a movie in like a five-year window between like 1997 and 2003 um but we hit the sweet spot um and i just enjoy these types of action movies more than most <laughs> no, come on i want to hit cody come on come on god damn it that's gonna be me when lord of the rings you, comes you want you want to talk about a crumb bum scum bum punk
Excuse me? I know, I know. It's going to get worse. I said what I said. Jake. All right. Uh, Jake, give us your number 24. Hmm. So, it's come to this. We haven't had a Spider-Man scene in a while. When I think of the best scene from Spider-Man 3, you know, Spider-Man 3 really is a Greek tragedy about a man who loses almost everything. And a scene that really, like, showcases how he's lost everything is a montage set to James Brown's Get On Up as he point, finger points at, at women on the street, dances like an idiot, it's truly like heartbreaking to see a character, you know, someone who once defeated Bonesaw has now become a joke of a man, once who has fallen to the bottom, bottomless pit. <laughs> um, it really is like just a shame to see someone become this emo bully Maguire character. Um, in all seriousness, this scene is fucking hilarious. I fucking love this scene. Uh, everything from him just finger pointing at chicks to him getting a new suit dancing. It's just hilarious. Like you can say that this is a stupid scene. I think Rainey knows that though. The, the filmmakers know that. They want to have fun with this. There's a great commentary piece where they um they where they're watching the scene where it's it's Topher Grace and 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 Toby and Sam and Kirsten and James are just watching it and it's just like this scene's so funny. And it is funny. It's great. It's hilarious. He's acting like an idiot. I have a magnet of the scene of him pointing at a woman, a woman um, on my fridge. It's just amazing and it's hilarious. It should have been top five. Well, well, I, you know, there was just 23 other scenes that I thought was, was better. Um, but it's just great. Like him wanting the staff job and him putting his feet up. He got the part with uh, with uh, with uh, Elizabeth Banks, uh, Betty, I keep, yeah, Betty Brandt. Um, it's funny. It's great. It's stuff. You have the stuff with Ursula, and he's like, I want you to make cookies with nuts in it, which is symbolic because at this point he has gone nuts in the movie. It works on multiple levels. Um, it's great. It's hilarious. No, no, we're not, we're, we're not doing this. I'm not going to justify this. We're not going to revisit this scene. It was god awful in 2007. It's god awful now. Everything you said is wrong. Does anybody else want to talk about it? Again, you can pass. You have that option. The only thing that I wish the scene, the only thing I will say about the scene is. I still wish in No Way Home when all three Spider-Man are sitting around in the lab and somebody turned on the sound and it was this song that plays and then Toby should have went, no, 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 we're good. They're good. That's what they should have done, but they didn't and they missed an opportunity. Wow. I, there are some scenes that I thought would come. This is not one of them. I do love when Jane... When Joe James or Jameson comes in and goes, I, "That's not the position I hired you for." Uh, when he's like, flirt, "When she's flirting on the, I, yeah, it's a class. It's a great. Uh, also, I just want to shout out quickly before everyone says, "Um, shout out Tim Bracala." I he asked me like, "What's the highest scene I have from Spider-Man 3? And I said twenty-four, and then I sent him the gif of, of of him dancing, and we were on call after logged it, and he said, "Jake, no, why?" <laughs> and I will never forget that. <laughs> I am as a as a Raimi Spider-Man huge fan and defender. I only want to say nice things about these movies, and therefore I will say nothing at all. Thank you. All right, Jake. Uh, where? Wait, what, Jack hasn't said anything. Oh, Jack. I'm sorry. Do you want to say? Uh, anything, I'll Jack? keep this short. I want to hear what he has to say. I'll, I'll keep this short and sweet. You've had a lot of. <laughs> 
picks to say the least and i I, i've had a fair few picks as well that are a little off the rails however you've somehow chosen one of my least favorite scenes in movies uh i hate this movie and i hate this scene it causes me pain every time i watch it i'm just disappointed all right uh scott fix this for us please number 27 yeah we'll just go with the scene that's very much like the one we just discussed uh no this is uh the conversation with bob wells from nomadland um, very similar. So, uh, yeah, very similar. Bob Wells is kind of this, he's a real guy, as many of the people in Nomadland are. And he's kind of this like cult figure among the nomads because he's like this sort of motivational speaker who is giving them advice and like, you know, again, motivation and stuff uh, and for their itinerant lives. And he himself is a nomad, of course. Um, and he's featured throughout the movie, but really like the his big scene, in my opinion, the big scene in the movie comes towards the very end when he's having a conversation with Fern, which is Francis McDormand's character. And she's telling him about, you know, the loss of her husband, which is what drove her to become a nomad in the first place and really opening up to um, to him about that. And it causes him to actually open up. And he says, you know, I, I never usually talk about this, but my son uh, and he and he goes on and talks about his son taking his own life and it's so um it's so incredible to watch because he is again he is this real person i don't i I was not able to find any like confirmed validation of it but i i think he's probably describing his real life experience and watching him like very authentically break down as he's doing it is just very powerful to to watch but then the sentiment that he goes on to express, I think, I think too many people like just say, "Oh, this movie's so depressing," but I think there's a lot more to it than that. It's it is depicting these people's lifestyles, and yes, there are you know very sad elements to it. The circumstances which led many of these people to be on the road are very sad, but also there is something out there for a lot of these people that maybe they you know knew about, maybe they didn't know about, but that has they have discovered, and that is keeping them on the road, like. Fern has a chance to stay with David Strathern's character. She chooses not to because there's something out there for her. So there, there is hope. There is, you know, optimism to be had in this movie. And he got Bob Wells in the scene goes on to express like the idea that everyone, you know, the people that he meets in this life, we're, you know, we see them again. And he knows that he's going to see his son again down the road somewhere, just like he's going to see, you know, the people that he meets, the nomads that he meets and kind of encourages Fern and also encourages himself to um, live in the moment and, you know, experience the moment as, as it happens, because someday you will see these people that you have lost again. And then you can talk about all the memories that you've had with them. So it's, this is such a beautiful movie. It's such a beautiful sentiment. And uh, it's a scene that I go back and watch frequently just because of the range of emotions in it. See, I never thought this movie depressing. I thought, I mean, I th- there are, like you said, there are depressing yeah. elements to it, but I think it's very much about people like, especially Francis Dorbert's character, like willfully carving out the First life theory. she wants for herself. Yeah. Um, so I, I thought it was going to be depressing going in, but that's not what I found when I watched it. Um, as far as the scene goes, um, yeah, I love that this character or this person, I guess. Um, and you could tell he's not an actor, 
but I mean that in a positive way because it's su- it's such a natural performance, um, especially you know going you know going with you know playing off Francis McDormand, um, you know such a good actor that she you know he's you know he's there's, there's such a realism to, to what he's saying, and I don't know if it's true or not either, Scott, but I just assume that he's telling a true story because like I said, you could tell this guy's not a professional actor when he breaks like that's real yeah. like there's something really happening there, um, so I think it's just like a really beautiful, sad and beautiful story that he tells. Um, and just kind of describing that lifestyle. So not a scene that I would have considered or thought about for a top 100, um, but just because it is such a quick scene, it's such a simple scene. Um, but I think it's um, a, a strong one to make your list. Uh, everybody else on this scene from November. Um, I wish I loved this movie more. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same bus as Cody. I wanted to love this movie. Um I just yeah, this I, I just I don't know if it's just an American thing, and I don't want to use it as as an excuse. Like this is it's got American themes and stuff that I have I'm just not really familiar with. Um, it's just yeah, something that I just I just haven't been able to connect with. Um, I do want to rewatch it just to see if I can get something a bit more. But like yeah, it's a movie I wish I loved more than I actually do. Like it's just I find it to be fine. Yeah, the movie's good. Uh, I don't love it myself i don't know it just didn't click for me i tried to re-watch it didn't really click for me but not watch either uh mcdormand's very good in this film uh this is probably my favorite scene from the movie uh just wouldn't make my list okay uh scott number 26 please all right it's time everyone it is beth's last christmas from little women Um, so because of the way that this movie's edited it's a little difficult to delineate scenes um, in a way so I just kind of uh, you know crafted out a piece that I wanted to um, that I think makes sense cohesively but basically there's we sort of you know this is obviously we're flashing back between the past and present throughout the entire movie and we get these sort of um, identical scenes of Beth being very sick, being put to bed, Joe goes and lays in the bed with her and they fall asleep. We first see it in the older timeline where Joe comes down uh, the stairs and she wakes up. Beth is not there. She comes down the stairs and she goes into the kitchen and Marmy like turns around from the table and we see that Beth is sitting there and she's okay. And, um, and Joe hugs her. And then we get this, you know, moment of the final, uh, you know, the Christmas morning with all of them there. And this is when Bob Odenkirk comes home, right? The now famous image of him coming in and saying, my little women and appearing for the first time. And they're all sitting and having Christmas dinner and it's so lovely and they're all together. And you have like the warm autumnal color palette, obviously, which, um, you know, designates the past timeline. And then like, we like very harshly cut to like the gray palette of the, more present timeline and again same thing happens joe wakes up she goes downstairs just as she did the other time but even and saoirse ronan you know such an amazing performance even the way that she walks downstairs and walks really slowly and with like this look in her eyes it's like she already knows that this time is going to be different and she walks in and marmy turns around just as she did before but this time there's no one sitting there and marmy starts crying and we know exactly what has happened and again like i was saying with the searching scene that is just masterful filmmaking to tell us everything without 
you know, any words. Um, it's so much more powerful than it would be if they, you know, if they explained what happened through words. And, you know, I obviously I think the timeline decision that Greta um, employs was brilliant throughout the movie. But this one moment to me justifies the whole thing um, because the contrast that she draws between the past and the present is just so devastating and, you know, weaponized for mass, uh, you know, maximum emotional impact. So I think it's so brilliant. Yeah, I went back and watched this. And like, yeah, like you said, the way it's cut now, I, this is the only version of Little Women I've ever seen. And I've never read the book. And you alluded to it, Scott. Like, this is that the the way they do the time jumps is original to this story, right? Like, this version. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. I think that was a great choice. I think this is the best use of it. Um, like you said, just like the mirror images of the two different situations. Um, and just tell her that story with, you know, like with, with the silence. Um, really well done. Great, great performances, minimalist, minimalist performances um, all around from everybody in the in, in those scenes. Um, I think it's, for me, it's a little high. I understand why you have it here. Uh, I'm not going to begrudge you. Uh, everybody else on the best last Christmas of death, Little Women. Uh, this is a fantastic scene, a fantastic movie. I, I've i seen the movie twice, um, and even still, I always forget that it's two different that whole sequence is that's two different narratives or two different, you know, um, yeah, two different narratives as far as yeah. past and present. I always, when I first saw the scene in the, in the cinema, I always thought that that was a dream sequence of her getting up and seeing that she's alive and then it cuts to, oh no. I always just thought that that was a dream sequence and it wasn't until my second viewing when I was like, oh, okay. And I think the way that going really plays with, uh, with my expectations and editing in that, and the whole movie, honestly, is um, really effective just to, to see how things have changed and how things are different. Um, yeah, this is definitely like a heartbreaking scene and uh, very powerful stuff. Like it, 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 it bottles you up and then, uh, and then bang, the, the reveal happens. Uh, yeah, really effective stuff. Yeah, this is. Uh, I, I've only seen the movie all the way through once, though it is on fairly regularly at my house. It's one of my sister's favorite movies, so I have seen the scene quite a bit, and it is very well done. Uh, like you said, how Laura Dern turns uh, towards uh, Sorcerer Ronan, and Beth isn't there on that uh, that time. It's uh, it's a very well done scene, very um, minimalist filmmaking, and yeah. So a good scene just doesn't make my list. Couldn't tell you what the scene is. I've seen it one time. Right. You don't remember like when one of the main little women dies? Really, that that didn't stand out to you? <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure. I remember her dying, but do I remember like everything I remember? No, not enough to like draw back. I mean, I've only seen, I've seen it one, one time. So. <laughs> And you missed a trivia question from it. I, you know, I'd only seen it like ten times at that point. Hey, <laughs> Scott, Scott, before you I missed a Spider-Man question, it, it happens to all of us. You asked, then you're not. <laughs> Scott, before you go on, Jake, I gotta ask: Did you just message Michael and Zach to uh, tune in and watch you talk about Spider-Man? No, I swear to God, I did not at all. I swear to God. <laughs> all right, Scott, what do you got next? Um. Probably the best romantic chemistry in movie history. This is uh, George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez in the trunk from Out of Sight. Wow. This is like their first meeting, and they've 
basically taken Karen Cisco, which is JLo's character, put her in the trunk. George jumps in there with her, Jack Foley, his character. And this is how they meet. Obviously, her, the U.S. Marshal, him, the hardened bank robber. Um, and they start having this conversation. And the dialogue is just unbelievable um, in this scene. It's, you know, the Elmore Leonard on the page and then Scott Frank, who's also a you know great screenwriter in his own right, adapting that. So just two great minds working there. And, you know, they're right close to each other because they're in the trunk of his car. And the first first thing they talk about is, you know, she basically says he needs a breath mint. Uh, but then they start having this this dialogue. And first of all, it's a brilliant way to get exposition out there without, you know, making a big deal about it, because we just enjoy listening to the dialogue so much that you almost don't even process that you're listening to exposition. But we get some of like Jack Foley's background in this scene. And how he's like the most wanted bank robber and all this stuff. And he says at one point, uh, there's a moment I love where he's like, um, I'm looking, you know, if they, if they catch me again, if I go back, I'm looking at 30 to life. Can you imagine, you know, looking at that? And she goes, I don't have to, I don't rob banks. Um, and, but then their conversation progresses. They talk about a few other things and um, like, they talk about movies at one point, like he starts talking about, uh, Warren Beatty and then she knows about network and then um, it, it goes on from there and uh, it's it's just so much fun to listen to again it sounds like two people that you are generally interest, interested in having interesting having an interesting conversation he starts to like it seems like he starts to like win her over she's smiling a little bit by the end he starts bringing up like oh if it was under different circumstances you know we things might be different between us or whatever. And she's like, no, whatever. And then, you know, finally they get out of the trunk and she tries to then arrest him and they just like shut the trunk. and just like, go away. Um, so it's, it's such a great scene or they just leave her. Um, and it, it's such a great scene. And again, the, the chemistry is so fantastic throughout this entire movie. Um, it's just such a cool, like effortless. It's what Steven Soderbergh can do so well. Um, throughout the entire movie and this scene just sets up their chemistry perfectly and they're both like obviously incredibly beautiful people so that doesn't um, hurt either yeah um strong scene um personally like i'm not as enamored with clooney as most people are and i don't think jayla is that great an actress um but i can't deny that the, the chemistry the two of them have there just the you know the, the, the writing and um just the, like everything you described, Scott, the way that scene comes together and just the, the beginning of that relationship. And it kind of sets the foundation because it's hard. It's a hard sell to have like this hardened criminal and this, you know, like dedicated, like by the book cop, um, you know, fall in love and, you know, do everything that, that, that follows in this movie. And you're able to look back at the scene and see where it all started. It's like, okay, it makes sense. I, I see where the connection comes from. So um, really works for the, the context of the movie. Uh, everybody else in the truck seat for us. I haven't seen it. One of the best things to happen to George Clooney's careers was meeting Steven Soderbergh because it led to an amazing collaboration and also George Clooney's I like one of the biggest actors in Hollywood. Um, this scene is great. Uh, this is not the scene I, I thought you were going to pick, Scott, um, but uh, this is a, a really great scene and I do like sort of the initial sort of uh, moment, I guess, that the two characters meet and sort meet of the cute. stuff that they talk about. Yeah, the meet cute, you could say. Um, yeah, wonderful scene. Soderbergh is, is a genius. Just to put it simply, and he just knows how to make good movies. Great scene. And everybody should go watch this movie and then tune into the round table. 
right. first episode. Is that the first episode? It's the highest. It's the first, and it's the highest viewed uh, video it? on this I, channel. I thought it was second. It's the second because Brian picked it. No, it is definitely the second because you picked a lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Because Brian picked RRR, the first episode. For the Correct. First time, yeah. Yes. Yeah, you're right. Second episode. With it getting over 6, Second episode, which needs more views because the first one's like at 6,000. So go watch it. Like and subscribe. Thanks, Black. Uh, yeah, I said I haven't seen it. Okay. Okay. Now, what do you got next, Scott? All right. We have the emotional damage section of my list a little bit tonight. But um, 24 is the videos from home scene from Interstellar. Emotional damage. There it is. Um, yeah, I'll just like make everyone make a face now when I say that this is my favorite Nolan film. Um, I absolutely love it. Um, it emotionally ruins me like few movies ever have. Um, and this scene um, is definitely an example of that. Obviously, it's been memed to death, uh, but it doesn't. It didn't ruin. I came to this movie actually much later on than when it came out, and uh, it didn't. It didn't ruin any um, ounce of the scene for me. The fact that I had seen, you know, the image at least of Matthew McConaughey leaping there, but it's such a uh, fascinating thing to think about. I feel like we ha just haven't ever seen something like this portrayed before, where it's like, you know, he's been on the ground for an hour or whatever. And in that time period, 20 something years have passed. And he's now like looking at his kids who are the same age as him. Like, it's just like crazy to even think about what that would be like. Um, and, you know, it's so much credit to Matthew McConaughey that he's able to portray um, that again, devastation at, you know, as this person being put in a situation that like, you know, it's not like you can do research on that, right? Like nobody's really ever been in this situation before. So he's he's kind of coming up with the reaction there. And it's very, you know, believable and heart wrenching. But yeah, I mean, you know, just seeing that the small mistake has cost so much after he, you know, the promise he made to his kids and to Murph in particular. And just because of this, you know, small mistake that was made he's not going to be able to keep his promise. And, you know, probably like the culmination is when Murph says, you know, you, you once told me that when you came back, we might be the same age. Well, today I'm the same age as you were when you left. Cause it, it was her birthday when she made that video and just watching them grow up and like Timothy Chalamet, right. Who's his son at the beginning, go turn to Casey Affleck, who now has a child and um, yeah. Horrifying transition first of all, but um but he has a child and just seeing McConaughey have to experience all that in a matter of minutes. It's just, in, yeah, insane to think about it. The way that Nolan portrayed it, I think couldn't have been any more effective. Yeah. Um, favorite Nolan. That's kind of crazy. Uh, as far as the scene goes though. Um, yeah. It has been memed to death, um, but it is a great way. I mean, I kind of compare it to the, the, you know, you're talking about that searching scene earlier. Um, just, yeah wrapping so much up in one in, in a few moments and it really brings up because you know they go to the planet and they come back and they see the, the guy on the ship is aged and um you know you conceptually you understand what's happening um but this scene is what like brings it home like oh my god all that time has really passed and you know you see the the human element of it um again i think this is really high but um i, I still think it's despite 
everything the scene's been through since. I think it's still a pretty solid scene. Uh, everybody else on the uh, video scene from Interstellar. Um, I, I I like the movie. It is a, a, a hard rewatch for me because I think like the movie is absolutely devastating. Um, and this is like the most devastating scene ever. Um, so I, I have a hard time having any interest to rewatch it because of how... This is honestly just a terrifying concept to me. It's just the idea of time dilation and you could be on a, a planet for an hour and 22 years or however long has passed on Earth. Just that concept is absolutely terrifying to me and this scene just is so effective in showcasing that. It's a scene I don't... I, it's a movie I don't really have any interest in rewatching. I do like the movie, but it is a, a hard sell for me to get back into watching this unless someone picks up a deep cuts and onto then I will watch it, but, you know... Don't um, give me any ideas. <laughs> that's fair, but it is a it is a powerful scene. I think McConaughey does such a great a great job at um at like, any sort of like the emotions of him. I love the sort of transition of him being like smiling, like finally seeing his son, how he grows up, and then it becomes like sort of the sadness and like how much he's missed all his like kids' lives. Like, it's that is a horrifying concept to me, and it's just, like terrifying. Uh yeah, this is a. Uh... There's a lot of people that think this is a bad movie. I disagree. I think it's a good one. I haven't seen it since it came out, but I remember really loving it when it came out. And uh, there are moments in the film that have stayed with me since. This is one of them. Uh, this is the one that impacted me the most when I saw it. Uh, and yeah, it's a, a good pick. Doesn't make my list, but after rewatch, it, it I, I could come around on this movie a little more. I, I think it's good, not great. We got to Cody in 2014. You couldn't find a movie I hated more than Um, I have not watched it since. I, I hate it. Um, I hated it at the time. It's not my least favorite. I, I can't say that. I, there's another war movie that, that he decided to make that I also fucking despise. But, um, um, but... I I will have to watch. I I want to re I want to rewatch this, but I figure I'm just going to end up hating it. Still, um, his choices in this movie are something fucking wild to me. Like his sound overall is fucking wild. But this this scene may be good. I don't know. I have to revisit it. Not this year. Maybe next year. I don't know. All right, um, that brings us to the top of the list for the night. Uh, we're doing everybody's mm. top three, 23 through 21. I'm uh, going to do this carousel style like we usually do, starting with Jack in your number 23. All right. Uh, we've This is the eighth week we've been doing this series, and uh, it we haven't had a Lord of the Rings scene yet, but that ends tonight. It's uh, Boromir's Last Stand from the Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah. Still not fucking good when they're all in the top 20. Fucking I was gonna say, it's gonna be There's two other ones to come. That's terrible. Oh, just just you wait, just you wait. Anyway, um, yeah, this scene wrecks me every time. Uh, Boromir is first time I saw this movie. Boromir is a character that I despised throughout the vast majority of the movie, and seeing. Uh, his arc from uh, from wanting to use the ring to when he tries to steal it from Frodo and immediately once he realizes what he's done, regretting it and trying to get Frodo back, 
only for uh, the Urukai to find them and attack them. And an incredible battle sequence ensues where Aragorn takes on a horde of Urukai. Uh, Legolas and Gimli uh, come into to help and then they hear the horn of gondor somewhere off in the distance and you get a great tracking shot from there all the way through the forest to where boromir is fending off orcs trying to protect merry and pippin trying his best to do something right to redeem himself uh it to well to himself because of uh what he just did and uh then when lurts uh the basically chief uh urukai uh shoots him with a with an arrow you think boromir's done he's been shot he's uh he's down but he gets back up he keeps fighting it's a beautiful and brutal moment when he just keeps getting feathered with arrows uh from lurts and it's just every time he gets hit he keeps getting back up he keeps fighting trying his best to protect mary and pippin failing uh it's a a brilliant moment of redemption for Boromir. Uh, only Sean, no one dies like Sean Bean. Uh, but yeah, no, it's a just a m- moment that absolutely destroys me every time. Uh, first time I, I really uh, cried uh, for a character that I hated for a lot of the movie. But no, it's a it's a very good moment. Uh, I, I love this moment so much. Um, not the moment. I, not the scene I was expecting uh, from from you from Lord of the Rings. I know, like I said, you're doing one, you know, one per movie. Um, so again, I mean, top twenty five. That's what we're going to get. I mean, I, I would expect your Lord of the Rings scene to be you know, ought to be the top ten. Um, yeah, it's a great final stand for this character. Um, I think the problem for me is not that I hated him; I just didn't care about him. Like for me, he was the, the 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 least interesting member of the fellowship for most of the movie, and then he gets a cool moment. It is a cool moment, but I just wish I had more of a connection to him, even if you know, even if it was a negative connection, uh, like you had. Um, everybody else on Barrymore's death fellowship. Pass. <laughs> I've seen yeah. the movie. I know the scene. He gets shot with arrows and he dies. That's the scene. <laughs> What a fu- what a suck ass pick! Like, let's be real, Jack. You had you only picked one from all this shit, and you picked Boromir's death, Sean Bean that dies and everything. What the fuck? Like, what? Oh, you seen this guy? Listen, you can attach to him all you want. He got greedy, grabbed the fucking ring, got shot for it. That's what happens. You don't do it. Tell a life lesson. How does it feel that Frodo survived all this shit when all the end and fucking Boromir dies on the first time he touches it? Crazy. No. Movie. Terrible pick. Honestly, I'm Terrible surprised pick. it wasn't the Borog be... scene. Although the whole Mind's more. There's so many better like, scenes from Fellowship. There's, there's but, a, you're spoiled for choice with this movie. There's so many great scenes I could have picked, but this one, it just has that. It, I will say, it was between that and You Shall Not Pass uh, for a long time, but this one out in the end. Well, You Shall Not Pass to first place today. That's fair. All right, Cody, uh, you're 23. <laughs> Uh, It'll be hard to beat me tonight, guys. There's an actor that we did not get much time with on screen. I believe he only did five movies. Is that right? 
Yeah. Six if you count the one from 90. Only there's five. Um, some would say, like, I think Pacino is credited him on his acting ability and, like, what he did for him on set and stuff. Um, nowhere near Florence Pugh. Like, John Cazale could teach Florence Pugh how to not be frowning. I picked wow. Fredo in the chair in Godfather Part 2. This scene, not only is John Cazale like giving one of the one of the greatest performances ever. Pacino's also giving one of the greatest acting performances in the scene. And the chair is giving one of the best acting performances in the entire thing. <coughs> Fredo is sitting there. This is after the I know it was you, all the stuff. He knows him. He sits there and he starts talking to Michael and is basically like, hey, uh, if you disagree to this, like we can we can get through this deal, blah blah blah. And then he starts sitting there, and he kind of just starts like expressing like how he feels about the whole situation. Like he's like, Michael goes, "I've always taken care of you. Always taking care of me. I'm your older brother. I'm I'm smart. I'm important. Like I I'm not as smart as as everybody else feels." And he's like, the chair just keeps rocking him back. And even when he's like trying to explain, like I can do this stuff. Like, oh, give it to Fredo. Tell him we'll entertain this person or go handle that casino. Like I I can do this stuff. And like the chair just keeps bringing him down. Basically, he can never get to the level of Michael. And then Michael turns to him and is like, um, "You're no longer my brother." We are no longer friends. Uh, if you want to come see my mother, call a day in advance um, so I'm not there. Uh, don't come around our hotels. Don't come around anything. It ends today. As long as my mother is alive, you will not be touched. Mm-hmm. It is such a powerful scene where for, he ran away from the thing where he kisses him and says, I know it was you, Fredo. He runs away, he does everything, and Michael still doesn't do anything because he knows what that would do to his mother. <clears throat> and it's snowing outside. It's on the lake, and you see the the see like how they shoot this is just incredible. And like after he's like expressing his heart and he's like putting everything like this is why I did this stuff, Michael. And Michael still turns to him and goes, "No, we're not brothers. We're not friends." Like it is such a powerful scene. There's a lot I could choose from Godfather Part Two, but I think this is by far the most important scene in the movie for me. Like I think there's a scene at the very end, like where the deed is done but overall i think this is the setup this is because this sets that moment as soon as she dies what happens so absolutely impressive lost way too early Go. yeah i just watched deer hunter there day it was sad um i know you're being silly about the whole john gazelle thing but yeah he's brilliant in these movies and they actually no no as much as as much as we joke back and forth he is insane he is yeah. a fantastic actor and that's and that's honestly why He's the reason, John Cassell is the reason why Fredo has such a big part in the second movie, just because of how good he was in the first and how impressed, you know, everybody wanted to see more of him. Uh, so, he, you know, he, he's, he's the reason that's such an expanded role uh, in this film. Um, but, yeah, it's just so good. Like you said, that, that part where Michael walks out and he just, like, he, so he just puts his hand out, like, tries to grab him, like, Mikey, and he just gone. And, yeah, just him rocking that chair. It's like, you're my kid brother. I got passed over. Top pop one. It's not how I wanted it. I'm smart. Not like you. Smart, not dumb. So good. 
Um, and then, like you said, like this is Fredo's moment. Like you see, he's building, kind of building this the whole, and even the first movie a little bit. Um, but you see him building this the whole time, but just him having that like final, and it feels like this is his like triumphant moment, and Michael just pulls the rug out from under him. Um, yeah, fantastic. Again, another movie where you can't pick a bad scene. Um, this is a really good one. Uh, everybody else on uh, the chair scene from Godfather Two. This is the number one scene that if I remade the list today, I would put on my list uh, because I rewatched this movie for the first time in a long time after I already submitted my list. This is absolutely the scene. Um, I know, you know, there's other scenes that people like, you know, of course, the scene that's in the intro. I knew it was you, Fredo, that scene and everything and others as well. But I mean, this this is the one for me and the way that Pacino delivers like those killer lines and just it is just like as emotionless as any other business like piece of business that he does as you know head of the family now like it is crushing to watch um and the way he is just so direct with that dialogue and he just cuts right to fredo's heart like it's such a great scene and like i said 100 would be on my list if i redid it today if we were doing top 100 like objectively the top 100 best movie scenes of all time i would have like eight scenes from godfather and godfather part two um they're they're fantastic scenes i just as much as i love both part one and part two i just don't know if i could ever call them favorites of mine i mean i do think they're amazing movies and i love them but just as far as like my top 100 favorite movies go i just don't think i would i could maybe i'll rewatch it a couple times and it it will when i get older but yeah, I mean, this is a great scene. I do love that Cody brought up the whole chair part because that's like, I, I can't remember what it was. I think it was a, an es- a video essay that I watched. I think it was Every Frame of Painting. He talked about chairs and films and he brought up this one specifically and just the fact that it just perfectly showcases the dynamic between uh, Fredo and, and Michael as far as who's really in control. Um, and it's also just a big fear of mine like because I'm the oldest of my three brothers, so I'm just worried that I'm going to be in this situation as Fredo. Um, but no, it's um, a really great scene. And it's also crazy that for someone who gave like four of the greatest performances ever, like Kazali never got an Oscar nod. And especially for this movie where like three people got supporting actors, yeah. uh, it's crazy he did not get one. Not wrong. You're muted, Jack. Yeah, this is a great scene. I haven't seen the movie in a long time. Uh, I'll be rewatching it soon ish i i did have the kiss of death scene yes uh it's a great that moment has stayed with me for since i last saw the movie uh since i first saw the movie as well it's a great great scene uh but i just want that on the record that you did have that scene on there and you hadn't seen it. just i just want that on the record thank you i said i said i hadn't seen it in a long time not that i hadn't seen the movie whatever uh just on the, the record yeah yeah I said that back when I talked about Kiss of Death as well. Uh, great, great pick, uh, Cody. Good job. Jake, will you do me a favor? Please, if we ever do one of these lists again, please just do objective best. Please, <laughs> I beg you. Please. Hey, I'm really going to like full on go on what I love about movies and, and my picks. But yeah, I all totally right. agree. Like, if we're doing objective of all time, I would have like so many scenes from the Godfather. It's really incredible. We are up next. What do you got for 23? Um, this is actually also one of like the best scenes of all time. I'll see if uh, anyone else has this. Uh, the Stargate sequence from 2001 A Space Odyssey. 
Sure. I guess I got to talk about it. Um, yeah, this is in the end of the movie. Uh, uh, Bowman has Bowman, yeah, Dave Bowman has made it to Jupiter, and he sees the monolith, and then we have the crazy, trippy, uh, hallucination visuals uh, spectacle that is the Stargate sequence, uh, brilliantly created by Douglas Trumbull. Uh, somehow Stanley Kubrick got the credit for visual effects for the movie. Um, but yeah, I just I've never taken LSD. I'm gonna put that out on the record. I've never taken LSD. I imagine if I did, this is what it would feel like and look like, and just my whole perception of reality would change and become just crazy vivid colors, and the whole spectacle of it is honestly just incredible to watch. Um, I was lucky enough to see this uh, in the cinema uh, for the 50th anniversary back in 2018, and just that whole sequence when it plays out is just absolutely awe-inspiring. Um, I wish I could see the movie, or see the scene before, or yeah, actually watch the movie before knowing like almost anything about it, but because of The Simpsons, I knew so much of this of the movie um, and the sequence, um, but I do think that it is just like just an absolute spectacle, especially for '68. Like the the visual effects, the, the the technology that was made to make this movie is just like at the time unprecedented. Um, and you're really like f like for the ride with Bowman as he goes through this. Like you're with him as these crazy visuals happen. And I absolutely love the cutting when you just cut like these freeze frames of Bowman, just like, is he screaming? Is he in agony? Like what is going on? And it only happens like for half a second, then it goes back to the sequence and you see it a couple of times. And then you get the extreme close up of the eye and how it changes colors and all these just crazy visuals. You have like the desert landscape that's got like the weird, like blue tint and orange tint and these weird shapes just forming and creating. And then it eventually gets to, him in the room where he sees his older self um the whole sequence is just why i love 2001 it's my favorite career break it's one of my favorite movies and everything about it is just absolutely incredible to watch it's funny you mentioned the simpsons jake i took my nephew to see this and he's a big simpsons fan so first thing i asked him when it was over i looked at him and said how many simpsons references do you understand now he's like i counted eight so <laughs> <laughs> um but no, this is, I mean, visual. I mean, there's really not much more to go out of the visuals because that's all it is. It's really good. Um, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I mean, it just, it's just like a looking at the kaleidoscope. Um, like, you know, you mentioned LSD. I think I, I remember when I was a kid, I don't know if this is a thing or not, but I remember hearing rumors like the whole movie was made to be watched by people at LSD, mm -hmm. like this scene specifically. Um, so it's, I like this movie. Um, I like it for what it is, but there's a part of me that wishes I could see like the 90 minute edit that is just like, you know, we, the ships just land, just the you know, the ships landed and you know, this stuff is there just cause I mean, it is, it is a very long movie. Um, but yeah, as far as just like a visual experience, cinematic experience, um, I can't fault you for having mm -hmm. on your list. Uh, everybody else on 2001 Stargate. I haven't seen this movie. Uh, I've been meaning to for a long time. One of my biggest blind spots. I mean, I feel about the scene as I do about the movie, which is that, yes, it is incredibly impressive. And I am very, you know, admiring of the achievement that is the film. It doesn't move me in any particular way. And that's honestly what I value in film more than anything. And so I think it I'm sure it's a masterpiece. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not going to disagree with you. I'm not going to disagree that this scene was unprecedented for its time. 
it doesn't make me feel anything really. Overrated. I'm not gonna say that. Make a straight on reference. Right. It, it's a it's a fact. It's a fact. All right, uh, Scott, give us your twenty three. Um, my 23, uh, is 1917, the entire movie. I'm just kidding. Uh, it's the flare, it's the flares, uh, at night scene. Um, legitimately when I watched this in theaters, I like gasped <laughs> at this scene, like specifically when this is like the, after the one sort of obvious cut in the movie, when, um, Schofield has blacked out and he wakes up and he, climbs up over the stairs and like that first shot of when he comes up over the stairs and we see the ruins outside of like the tower that he's in you know illuminated by the flares going off i was like that is one of the greatest shots i've ever seen um and it is such a mesmerizing setting um and then we get that great transition where the camera just like drops down to the bottom of the tower and he's outside we don't actually see him go outside we just like drop down and he's he's gone from the top to the bottom which i love and then but then you know it progresses with him you know kind of being chased by some soldiers running through the ruins coming in front of the the burning church right which is that amazing scene where you see somebody approaching him but you don't really know if it's a friend or an enemy and then you know the guy starts shooting at him and he runs away like i mean every shot here could be like a renaissance artwork honestly like it is maybe like roger deacon's greatest moment and that's really saying something but yeah um i guess maybe it's a little weird to to bring up this scene after I've just talked about the 2001 visual stuff not moving me. But again, I can't get over how I felt watching this in the theater and it may just be a visual thing in this moment. Again, I disagree that the whole movie is like that. I think the movie does have an emotional thread through it that um, that works for me. But um, I can't deny like that feeling of watching it on the big screen for the first time and just like my jaw literally dropping. Uh, yeah, a couple of scenes you could have picked from this movie. I think you probably have the right one. Um, I just love how it's set up in the film. It's almost like the beginning of the second act of a play. Like the curtain comes yeah. back up and you start with like the, you're starting this kind of the story again and you start with this. And I think it's just a, a great, like, as far as the pace of the film goes, I think it's a great spot to put it in. And, um, yeah, just the lighting and the way, like you said, the camera moves, how it fall, doesn't follow him down, but it goes down and he's there and it's, you know, that over the shoulder. And it's like kind of the whole movie is him just like taking all this in, taking the war in, taking everything. And, you know, just him like looking up and seeing this beautiful thing for a moment and then it going back into the battle and him being shot at and have to mm -hmm. fight for his life. Um, yeah, really solid scene. Everybody else had 1917 players. Um, I love this movie. Um, I, this is like it's an easy win for me if like the whole movie's presented as if it's one take. I love one take stuff. That's just like one of my favorite things ever, obviously. Uh, for my little Birdman. Um, yeah, this is I think this is my favorite scene of the movie. Uh, I've always loved Thomas Newman. He's my favorite composer, and I think the night window piece that plays yeah. throughout the scene is just so fucking good. It just really creates this sort of just like emotional like epicness. I don't know how to really like articulate it, but just the way it builds up and then you see the flares, the camera goes outside the, uh, the window and then comes down. Effective, just done so well. Um, I think 
things like the most impressive like as far as cinematography number one being blade runner 2049 number two being no country of old man sure. things. so that's my personal opinion this is the scene to pick from 1917 the run across the field gets a lot of like 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 talked about i also think the plane going down is really cool but i think this is absolutely yeah. the scene when i want to rewatch it's absolutely incredible um i kind of wish i would have put it on my list like at the lower half because i don't love it as much but it's definitely when you think of a scene uh, you didn't even have to like as soon as you brought up flares i was like yeah I, I can it takes me right back to everything about that scene it's so good so good choice yeah this is a great scene uh it was in contention for my uh list briefly though uh not for very long because i do pick the battlefield run uh at the end uh made my list earlier in my 60s i think but this is a fantastic scene so good pick you're wrong jack okay i'm used to that all right um that was scott's 23 so we're back to jack for his 22 uh yeah my 22 very few uh moments in movies have affected me as deeply as this one did and uh i'll just i'll just say it. it's the octopus and the shark from short term 12. no all right uh this scene destroys me every time it's uh so brie larson uh works at like this uh how do i describe it? place where uh where it's like a halfway house for teachers. yeah Foster almost like a halfway home. house for children with troubled homes uh and it's uh she, there's a lot of uh hard scenes to watch in this in this uh this movie but this one uh so caitlin deaver uh she comes from a, a troubled home she lives with her dad uh and uh she doesn't open up to anyone ever uh and at this point in the movie uh she opens up to she finally opens up to brie larson and uh hands her this uh paper that has a story written on it called the octopus and the shark and it's basically her begging brie larson for help in the only way that she knows how and it's absolutely devastating every time i watch this scene i i i can't help but cry it's a brilliant performance uh very minimal performance but brilliant all the same larson shines in this uh in this role and i i can't fully describe how how much this scene hurts every time i watch it okay um this is super high um and i want to tell you why uh, i understand you're a kingsman and when you, when you join the Kingsman, you had to swear allegiance to the Church of Caitlin Deaver. Um, so I, I feel you. I, I'm good. That being said, um, the reason I think it's a super high, because I know you, you're doing one pick per movie. There's another very similar scene in this movie with Lakeith Stanfield. Yeah. Uh, and he 
does something very similar. He takes a, it's a story. It's a song he wrote, and um, you know, and he and he and he sings it for the he raps it for the for the counselor, and that just so absolutely blows the scene out of the water. Like I don't even think about the Caitlyn Deaver scene as good as it is. Uh, Lakeith Stanfield is so good in that scene. That that's the scene in this that completely knocks me out. Um, so I mean, I think this this isn't bad. But it's a distant second to the least. I compare them because they're so both similar in what what, what they're doing. Um, so, yeah, this is uh, again, it's good. It's twenty two is way too high, and it's the wrong scene for the movie. Uh, everybody else, an octopus and shark. I I just again listen. That's complete horseshit. I understand. I will tell you. I will tell you that Lakeith Stanfield scene is really good. But you can't say one kid's trauma, how he displays it versus the other kid is, like, better. And they're both doing the exact same. Like, it's both so powerful in both scenes. So I can't just say one is, like, miles better. There's no way. Um, I'm not the way this their is trauma. Supposed to, I'm comparing their performance to the movie. Exactly. But you're saying, like, well, because they presented it in a right form. I like it a little bit better than the octopus. Overall... This I've watched this movie one time. I don't think I can ever watch this movie again. Um, as somebody that has like adopted kids from like foster uh, foster care, uh, this scene is just absolutely just dis- like destroys uh, human like because like I put think in my review. I said this is bad. like there are parts that there are stories that a kid will never tell. Uh, like what they went through, their, their story will never be told. Like whatever they say, they'll hold it to, they'll take it with them to their grave. Like they, some people will not let them in. And her telling the scene is like such an open and hurt scene where she's like describing what has been going on in her life the only way she could. And I think it's so powerful. 22, I don't know. Again, I haven't, I've seen the movie one time. I think they're both great scenes. Like they, if you were doing them like that in the, Lakeith Stanfield, they could be 22 and 23. I think they're absolutely powerful. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Um, this is a fantastic movie. <laughs> to put it simply, um, I had always written it off over the years just because I was like, oh, this is like the Kingsman favorite. So why should I ever watch this? Um, and I was wrong because this movie's like. To be right? fair, it's the Holtzman movie. It's, it's a Holtzman, not. A it's a massive Holtzman movie because it's of Holtzman. Kingsman Fever. And, yeah. Um, it is the Holtzman. Yeah, it's Holtzman's movie. <laughs> And I'm Hoffman's cousin, technically. So exactly, yeah. Um, but I, I watched it finally this year, and I was just like, yeah, everything that everyone talks about this movie is, like, well-deserved. Um, I, I think everything about the scene is also so effective, and the fact that it's they set it up earlier when, uh, I can't remember Caitlin Deaver's character name, but she's watching TV, and then you see the shark, and then Jordan. that leads to get to the leave. Um, that whole thing comes back with the story. And I remember that was, that's probably when I realized that this movie was incredible, that I was going to give this like at least four and a half stars on Letterboxd was when she reads the story. And I was just like, what an incredible scene, just everything that goes throughout it. Um, I think this movie is fantastic. I would like to rewatch it, um, but it is like such a brutally devastating like movie from like almost every, every standpoint in the movie, uh, from every character, from, the whole movie uh it is just yeah, a fantastic film to put it simply all right um did uh, you go scott let's go yeah oh scott. yeah sorry uh no i love the movie too uh i remember seeing it when it came out and like trying to tell everyone about it because it was such a like small movie at the time and even though all the actors in it are famous now like none of them really were at the time 
And I would have really put a lot of money in Brie Larson's stock at the time, and I would have lost a lot of money. Um, but anyway, that's a whole that's a whole nother matter. I do think the scene is great. I uh, do not have as strong a take as as Kirk, but I was sitting here thinking I would have picked the Licky Stanfield scene if I had to pick one from this movie. Um, but I think it's a, a great movie overall and an important story that most everyone is in the community seen it now. But if not, you, you definitely should. We'll say Lakeith Stanfield, it was in consideration for the list, but this one went out pretty quick. Honestly, I think I would pick this scene if I had a preference over the two, but that's just me. All right. Uh, Cody, 22. Just a simple question for my scene. Did you fuck my wife? Raging Bull. <laughs> what is um, with the Kingsman and swearing? Just fucking put fuck. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> they're um uh yeah so i think the scene especially now just to put over this this is basically the conversation with him and his brother going up to talk to his wife and where he ends up and beating the hell out of his brother the entire scene is what i'm considering <clears throat> they're having a conversation in the tv at the tv basically ask him he starts like asking like questions and he's acting a little bit weird and uh he's having thoughts basically about like something's not right with my brother like he's not acting the same like i'm not getting what's going on um and he basically like Did you fuck my wife and he's like what why would you you're sick you're sick why would you answer why would you i'm not answering it Answer the question. Did you fuck my wife? He keeps going through the thing. He refuses to say. Jake Lamotta is like getting more and more because he knows that that fact is the way he's answering it. He knows the truth, so he goes up and talks to his wife, and basically, did you fuck my brother? Blah blah. And he's like, yeah, the entire block too, and blah blah. And it's again not great for the time, not great for this any time. But like, he ends up, you know, hitting her and. He ends up storming out of the house and ends up going to his brother's house and beats the living shit out of him, basically, in his front in the in the kitchen with his family there. And it's just like it's a building scene because it's it's foreshadowed from a scene that I said earlier of like what's happening to basically how Jake is as a character. He's so blinded by everything in his own life that he's missing everything else around him. Like he doesn't see it's he's such an interesting character study from a movie perspective because he is a character that just doesn't see problems or like the people around him that care for him. He leaves openings, he keeps he leaves his wife like he doesn't give her any attention or any love or whatever. She goes and seeks it from other thing, and then he finally like starts hinting on it when it's all too late, and then he ends up costing him everybody he loved. His brother, everybody in this one scene. So, um, yeah, let's see. <laughs> what was the other Raging Bull scene you picked, Cody? Uh, the hit one where they hit each other. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's uh, basically where he says he'll be. He literally will screw anything if you give him the chance, and he's like, "He'll hit me," and then he's up screwing his wife. It's funny that you. Uh, you picked these two seeds just because like, they're so similar and you didn't pick any like the, the boxing yeah. sequence, which is the way I would have went. Um, sure. about like Jake LaMotta, like just kind of like following up on this movie and learning more about him. I guess in real life, he had like severe hearing loss 
And that really made up like a lot of his personality just because like a like the lack of understanding of what was going on and b the frustration that came from that really drove a lot of these like problems that he yeah. had. I just think that's interesting. Um, and I think De Niro brings it that kind of that frustration of not knowing what's going on through his performance. Um, yeah, again, this isn't the, the this isn't the Raging Bull scene I would pick, and I think it's a little high just because um, when I think of scenes in Raging Bull, I think of the boxing, and I think of I like the um, the color montage of the home movies and things like that. Um, but I mean, these, this again, these are, you know you pick two great character moments and two great performances. Uh, so everybody else on uh, did you shampoo my wife from Raging Bull? <laughs> SNL reference. Um, I think I'm, I, I haven't. Seen it Oh, yeah, I, I'm, I said it already. I haven't seen the movie. I think I mentioned that when we talked about the uh, the hit me scene that it's been forever since I've seen the movie. Um, I do love the movie. Like obviously Scott says he's a master, um, and I like to joke that I'm named after Jade Lamata, which is absolutely not true. Um, but uh, yeah, no, this is this is a great scene. I do love the the Sugar Ray boxing scene more, but that's my personal preference. Um, yeah, I would just echo what I said last time, which is that I do think the movie's brilliant, not a rewatchable movie at all to me. It's very unpleasant. Yeah, and I and I didn't want I was still saying I didn't rewatch it until me and uh, Tim watched it together. And the reason why I didn't pick the boxing is because I think there are great boxing scenes. I just think the care the, the basically the character study of Jake Lamada I think is so fascinating and what Scorsese is able to do with that character. But very unwatchable. I, I rewatchable. I agree. I don't think there will be many times I go back to it. All right, uh, Jake twenty two. Uh, so I've been yikesing a couple people with a scene from Ratatouille, uh, but I, it's not this scene because <laughs> there's a scene that uh, that I think is honestly like uh, really not, doesn't get talked about, but I absolutely love is uh, Remy discovering Paris when he actually goes up through the uh, sewage and discovers that he's actually been under Paris the whole time. Um, I really Fantastic. remember I. I have really good memories with the scene um, and watching it. Uh, the the piece by Giacchino Walrat is like so underrated. It's incredible piece of music that plays throughout the scene. Basically, Remy has been lost from his family. He's got the cookbook of Gusto and Gusto's and his figment of imagination has made Gusto like talk to him. He's basically like, "Come on, go and look up and see." and find something and then goes through you have these great visual gags of like the two couple of the couple arguing and then shooting and, and then they make out after that you got the dog which is the which is fucking what's his name doug from up making an early appearance he almost eats the food but because so i was like no you gotta good food will come to you you, know, you just have to wait and so then he discovers goes up through the uh through the building and up onto the roof and discovers this gorgeous fucking looking city Paris looks incredible. The sunset, the Eiffel Tower, everything's the lights, the glow of it. It looks incredible. And then he discovers right next to it where he is is Gusto's um, restaurant. And then he finally gets there. I think the whole sequence is just really effective. Um, and I love the music. The music really just like adds a lot to it. Um, I'm a big fan of G Kino. Um, I love this is maybe my favorite G Kino. Uh, score uh, Ratatouille I think is an incredible piece of music um and this is just just absolutely incredible animation as well um yeah I love it it's simple but it's a very effective scene uh I'm on record uh Ratatouille is probably one of the most overrated Pixar movies um and this scene this scene kind of encapsulates why I think so because 
the thing about uh, I love about Pixar is when the movies do like world building and create like a new world. And the big thing about this is like, oh, he's a rat and he's in Paris. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and and the scene is, I mean, it's the scene. It's the Eiffel Tower, you know, Paris wide shot you've seen in a million movies. Um, so it's not really anything new or special. Um, I think other movies have done a lot better. Um, and yeah, I just what don't... like eight year old has seen other movies that with well, that we're not eight years job. old now, are we, Jake? But I was when I watched the movie for the first time. But you're not, you've seen a lot of movies since. Uh, you should put those True, on here. but we'll talk about this later with another Ratatouille. <laughs> so, yeah, um, but uh, yeah, and again, I, I just, yeah, I, I think this, I, I rewatched the scene, and again, this is really the crux of why I don't love this movie. I just, I'm not interested in the rat, and I'm not interested in the rat in Paris. Um, so, uh, everybody else on, uh, Rebby discovering Paris in Ratatouille. A good scene, lower tier, like, like here's, it's still a very good scene, but, uh, there's a, a whole bunch of other scenes from Ratatouille I put above it, including one that I already mentioned and we'll get to later. Oh, we, we definitely will be. Yeah. I mean, it's an anthropological pomorphized animal so that means it's good with me um it's only the other way that gets in trouble with me but uh no i love the movie it is one of my top pixar movies for sure i haven't seen it in a while um and this is one of those scenes like that i probably take for granted like watching the movie because it is like short and like you know it's just it's just him getting to paris you you think about other things you think about things that are more important to the plot arguably when you think about the movie but um I probably shouldn't do that because in retrospect, it is, you know, simple, but brilliant. I, I do. I think the movie is good. I think the movie is really good to be honest with you. Do I think it's as great as everybody? It's not my personal, like top 10 probably for Pixar, but I enjoy it a lot. I still think the scene, like I think what they're able to achieve with like the animation of Paris is beautiful. Like, and the score and everything, I just wouldn't be like one of mine to pick, but I think what they do is very, you know, of the, probably the most like photogenic like places in the world, like of the, at that time frame to put it in the animated. I think it's awesome. Now, if he would have went up and it was like Paris in space or some like different planet or Earth, Kirk would have been on board. Yeah, I was gonna say it, he it's, just it's decided to pick place. It's nah, real place. I'm out. I'm out. No fan. Real place is a character I don't care about. Uh, Scott, you're number 22. Unless it's Pittsburgh. Um, <laughs> my uh, 22 is uh, a little song and dance. It's the ending number from Cabaret. Um, love this movie. And this movie is about obviously like the slow rise of Nazism and uh, the fact that these character, these main characters are trying to distract themselves and avoid what is going on around them with, you know, their everyday dalliances, the romance, the love triangle that's going on uh, that is driving a lot of the plot here. But eventually, you know, over the course of the movie, slowly we see that, um, you know, they it becomes harder and harder for them to avoid what's going on. And the Kit Kat Club is kind of the safe haven for most of the movie where, you know, you, they can just come and, you know, obviously Sally's putting on her musical performances and um, it's, it's kind of insulated from the outside world. Um, 
And finally, this is the final scene of the movie, and it's become too much. And but we first see Sally giving the you know the title number, the cabaret number, and it's this very jazzy, upbeat. You know, life is a cabaret. It's a carefree song. It's you know high spirit. It's optimistic. It's you know basically trying to capture the vibe that you get from the Kit Kat Club for most of the movie. Um, but something is different this time, and. As she finishes the number, Joel Gray comes back on and he's, you know, again, trying like it with the spirit of the song is like, oh, you know, our cares are, you know, we're carefree. I don't remember exactly what he says, but, you know, the ladies are beautiful, something like that. It's all like, you know, sunshine and rainbows, whatever. But then like it gets really chilling and just like the look on Joel Gray's face. And then there's like this nice nightmarish editing that starts happening where we see like the musical numbers, but they're like cut with this really dissonant music. And so now we're all of a sudden we're seeing them in like a much darker, more disturbing light. Um, but then it ends with, you know, Joel Gray saying off leaders and walking off and the camera slowly panning over. And we see, like reflect i don't even know exactly what we're looking at but it's reflected in like this broken glass on the stage and in the crowd you can see nazis sitting in the kit kat club and you realize that they're there and you know again the kit kat club is no longer safe and soon the whole country and all of europe will no longer be safe um, from nazism so it's a brilliant movie the progression of everything um it's so well directed by um, Bob Fosse and, you know, to end on that very subtle note that, you know, is, is the culmination of what we're seeing throughout the entire movie. I think it's one of the greatest final shots in any movie for sure. Yeah. It's been a while since I've seen it as you're explaining any of you bring, I'm, I'm remembering it now. Um, Cause I wasn't able to rewatch it. Uh, I don't love the movie overall. I have a lot of problems with the movie, um, but that aspect of it, like just like the, I'm more interested in like the historical aspects than I am the characters in this movie. Um, so I really like, I do like that. And you just where it's like, like you said, it's subtle. You just see, you know, more and more brown shirts in the crowd. And, you know, as you know, like you just taking over like every aspect, like you, you said, this is, this was a safe spot. This is a you know, place where, you know, they had their, you know, these kind of people could exist. And, um, you know, now that's not going to last much longer. Uh, everybody else on the Indian cabaret. Haven't seen um, it. Uh, great movie. I saw all of Farsi's movies this year for Blank Check, um, and Cabaret was definitely one of the high points of, of of that whole filmography that he has. I mean, he has made great movies, um, and this is definitely one of his better ones. Uh, I mean, to be fair, he's only made five movies, so what, what, what kind of filmography is it? But Cabaret is like just a fantastic musical. Like, I'm not a big fan of musicals, um, but this one like really connected with me. Um, I do also just like how, you know, Scott was talking about the fact that the whole audience is just full of, like, Nazis, um, you, which is a complete juxtaposition, a callback to early in the movie when you have the one Nazi in the audience and he gets kicked out, and now it's yeah. just like, yeah, it's just all of them now. It's just growing and they're going to consume the entire Europe. It's a really effective scene and just a great movie. This movie sucks. Um, overall, I hate this movie. I think it's so bad. Um, the ending, I don't care. Um, and Bob Fosse and Joel Grey have Oscars to deliver to uh, Francis Ford Coppola and uh, 
James Conn. That's just my, my I would say it is one of the most yeah, insane right. supporting Oh, Pacino, but oh, Pacino yeah. was a bitch at the Oscars. He was a bitch at the Oscars. Yeah, he was it doesn't have anything but... to do with Cabaret the movie, but good insight. Thank you. 100% does. 100% does. Him acting like Jack say, It is Oscar. insane Joe Gray won the Oscar, like, when three people from Godfather were nominated. And they, like, three of the greatest performances of all time in one movie, and Joe Gray went. There, really there are a lot of, like, contenders for weirdest Oscar wins in the 70s. Like, it just, I don't it think Bob Fosse crazy. winning Best Director I think that's a good needs, win. Needs to, be, needs to be uh, categorized with some of these other ones. Like, he did a brilliant job with this movie. But and then Coppola won and beat Fosse in seventy four. He should have he should have two for both movies. Deal with it. And he lost. Fosse lost for the second movie. Uh, But we digress. (laughs) Uh, Jack twenty one. All right, twenty one. It's the bus from Sicario or not Sicario? uh, Insomnia. Wrong. 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 (laughs) Real movie. Wrong. Real movie. I don't know what happened. Uh, slip of the tongue. Whatever. Uh, this scene, th- there are very few scenes that have this long of an impact on me. Uh, I just, uh, after re- after watching the movie for the first time, uh, for the first six months minimum, I there wasn't a day that went by where I didn't at least think about this scene. It's haunting. For those of you that haven't seen the movie, uh, this is during one of the flashbacks where we uh, flashback to uh, Lubna Azabal's character. I can't remember how to say her name properly. I'm sorry. Uh, Where she's searching for her son who uh, she had to leave behind after he was born. And uh, she has come upon the ruins of this, uh, this orphanage where her son may have been uh and shortly after she's picked up by this uh this bus full of people uh and uh she falls asleep on the bus when she wakes up the driver is outside talking to or pleading with a bunch of armed gunmen uh and the bus driver gets shot everyone else in the bus gets shot except for her a mother and the mother's daughter uh and she's able to survive uh she's able to survive the um uh the massacre at that bus uh as they're pouring gasoline all over it and about to set on fire she is able to get out of there and she tries to take the daughter with her uh and say it's her kids so, so she can try to save this kid's life but the kid goes running back to her mom and the kid gets shot. It's a horrifying scene, just absolutely brutal. I cannot, uh, it, it's one of Villeneuve's best scenes, uh, as a director, like just singular best moments, uh, as a director, he has one other that just barely tops this one, but it, it's so close between the two. And I, Rewatching this movie today, yeah, it still hits just as hard. Brilliant, brilliant scene. Yeah, I rewatched this too. I saw this movie a while ago. Rewatch this scene, and I understand where you're coming from, just as it being like a uh, just hitting you on that visceral level because um, it is brutal. Um, I it's not something I would put on a top 100 just because like I, I I watch it. And I'm like, okay, it's not necessarily like 
from a technical aspect, a great, you know, the greatest scene ever, but it's like you said, just, I, I understand why you would spend that much time thinking about it after you watched it. Um, everybody else on the bus from Incendi, Incendi. I haven't seen the movie. Me either. I haven't seen it. Easy enough. Uh, Cody, on to you for your 21. So, uh, we've already had the song come up, but from a different one. I'm going to go with the classic, the OG 1961 America for once Okay. <clears throat> I think arguably, and now I will, and this is no trash on the one. I think they're both great. I think they both do two things that are really good, but I like this one more. Um, and the only reason I like it more is because I think the visuals and everything from the, the new one is outstanding. I think they're great. I think if you match song for song, I think they're both doing a great job with it. I love the confined space of this one more because it feels like more of a in-your-face like battle between them versus the new one. It's so expanded and so out. You miss those like little bit moments because they can't get away from each other in the confines. In that one, there's like everybody gets in the dances, which makes that one really cool. This one is the one that I love because <coughs> just like, those little moments when they're like they're smacking back and forth to each other, and then they're like, he's like, he's like laying down everything, and she's like, Well, you forget I'm in America, and like he can't escape from the situation. And I think the dancing overall in both scenes are just absolutely incredible. If you had to put it in film history, like my favorite musical number in film history is America from West Side Story, be 61 or uh, the new one, it doesn't matter. I think they're both. They're so complex, and they tell such an important story inside the confines of America. Like, from an Im immigrant's perspective of coming to this country, like, listen, like, they one look at us and they'll charge twice. Like, it's such, like, in your face and stuff. So, I think they're very close. And, again, I picked this one because this is the one that stuck with me for so long. But maybe over time, the new one is. But this one... Clear as day, top 30 for me. It wasn't even going you know, to be debatable for me. You chose wisely. Um, yeah, I, I love this. is my favorite musical number from a, from a movie, um, from a musical ever. Um, I just really think it's, it's so much fun and it's just so much, uh, just, just so much showmanship and pageantry. And it's it, there's so much going on, but it also has so much to say. Like it's so deep about the immigrant experience and you know what they go through and the two that, like that that you know the, the idea of it versus the reality of it. Um, I think it's such a so many great ideas put to music and dance. Um, I do prefer this one as well. Um, I'm not going to sit here and crap on the on the uh, the, the 2021 version because I, I think it has a lot going for it. Um, but like you said, I love what I love about 61, which I prefer the movie in general as well. I just love that perfect marriage of stage and screen uh, that they have in that one. And the fact, like you said, it, it is just them. And like, I'm, these are the characters I'm interested in. I understand the desire of the new one to, to highlight the community. I'm interested in these characters. And I want to see them doing this and I want to, I want to hear it from them and see them, see what they do. Um, and then I, and I think the other thing too, is just Rita Moreno. I don't, there, there's nobody tops her. Um, it's she, she's just, you know, in either movie, the, um, 
the, the standout. I mean, I think she's the standout in the second one. I think the I think the fact that we got two Anitas that are that close and that powerful yeah. is insane. Because I would have never thought that was possible. No, no, I mean, she yeah. she had she had a um what, what's her name? I'm, I don't uh, know. The yeah, she's um she had a lot to she. I mean, that was a lot to put on her shoulders, and she handled it. But I don't think she's. I still don't. I still think Rita Rita is very superior. In, in her performance and what she does. Um, so this is a incredibly solid pick. Um, I think it's right about where it should be. Um, Jake, I'll save you for last because you didn't have either of them, but we'll go to uh, Scott and Jack first. Uh, I'll keep it short. This is a great scene. Uh, I do prefer the newer uh, version from Spielberg, uh, though I don't think it's possible to choose poorly between the two scenes. Like, they're both phenomenal scenes so yeah good pick cody they're both great um i mean i chose the other one for the exact reason that cody is saying it's just the obviously it's just a personal preference type of thing but for me i like the expansive feel of the spielberg version because like when they are singing about america i want to see america and you get to see that in the new version Whereas here, it does feel confined by its stage roots a little bit. Um, you know, not not in a bad way because they make the absolute most of it. But I just prefer what Spielberg is doing a little bit more. Um, I like the new America sequence more than the 61 version. I think just because I like the visuals and that whole sort of sequence. But I like the song from the original more. As weird as that is, I just like that piece more. Um, um, it's just like, yeah, personal preference. Also interesting. I'm like the only non-American here. So as you know, someone viewing this as non-American and being like, yeah, America seems fucking cool. Like from the sequence, I'm just like, yeah, what you can do. And and then you have, um, I can't remember the, not, what's the guy's name? Bernardo. Bernardo is just like, no, the America sucks. And I'm just like, oh, but Anita makes a good, makes good points. And I, yeah. The idea of the American dream is such a big concept, and uh, that's always been like, okay, I can see why it's such a feeling and why America is obviously you know, as big as it is. And um, I think the I think both are great. I probably prefer the 2021 version just because I saw that in the cinema, and that was just like, you know, an absolute like the movie -ish sort of like moment. Um, but uh, yeah, um, both are great, so I can't really argue against either. Jake over here with the Canada erasure. Sorry, Jack. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot. I, well, America, US, North American. Sorry, it's just like we only talk about countries that are in the knockout stage of the World Cup. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay, okay. All right. I don't uh, give a shit about soccer, so I don't care. Jake, what's your twenty-one? They're definitely from Canada. Mm. Yes, I'm. Ugh. Ever since I made this list, I've just wanted to talk about the same because it's incredible. Um, we. Someone, I don't know who it was, referenced um, that I had two scenes from Hulk in my uh, my bottom, my 100 to 91. And everyone was like, oh, I wonder if there's going to be another one in, in the 80s. Well, as the week has gone by, we've been building to this moment. Nick Nolte gives the performance of a lifetime. Father and son meet for the last, for the last time in Hulk. At this point, both characters are going to die. Ross knows this, even Betty knows this. This is sort of the pinnacle, and this is them finally meeting. Like this whole, I have been on the record, Hulk is a secret masterpiece. This movie is incredible, and this is the best scene from the movie. David Banner 
just wants to meet his son last time. He talks to Betty. There's a great scene where he talks about how he accidentally killed his wife, Bruce's son. And he's like, I just want to see my son one more time. And this is the scene. Hulk has gone through and destroyed San Francisco. And Ross at this point knows that both characters need to die. Like This is too much. So you have them sitting in the chairs, looking at each other. And it just starts with Bruce going, I should have killed you. And then Nolte's like, I should have killed you. And an absolutely effective moment here when Bruce is like, I wish you had. Like, this is so much for both of them at this point. And Bruce is talking about a dream that he had about his his mother that he doesn't even know her name but he can remember the smell of like desert flowers which is the perfume and then he starts crying because he just didn't he doesn't really, really remember her that much and you have nolte like kind of consoling him he's like don't touch me like you maybe were my father once but you now you you aren't now and you never will be and nolte just goes into this like well i didn't come here to see you i came here to see my son my real son the one inside you you're just a shell waiting to be ripped apart at any moment and goes through this whole thing of like, I need, I need the Hulk's energy. I need his power. Like my my cells are unstable. I can absorb energy, but like I'm I'm going to fall apart. And so I need you to give me the strength that I gave you life, and you need to give it back to me. And he basically goes into this whole biblical tirade about how all the like he essentially is King Lear at this point. Like the whole world has. <laughs> look down on him and is like look at all the what they have done to us to you to me to humanity and he goes into this whole tirade about how we have the power to destroy the governments and their, their armies and their anthems we can make them disappear if we work together and he's just like i would rather die and he's like okay well you will die and then there's a part where i gotta read it because it's fucking incredible it's not it's just refreshing but he's basically just like you will be and you will die and you will be reborn a hero long before the pale religions of human civilization ever existed on the planet like it just it becomes such an absolutely fucking crazy monologue that he has and i that is when nolte wins his oscar like i'm on the fucking record of <laughs> nolte should have won and that's the fucking perform that's the scene where he just like fucking wins it like 2003 is what tim robbins like fuck him like it should have been nolte um, and he just basically just has this whole fucking scene. It's absolutely, I'm going to find it because it's fucking incredible. Um, but it's just great. And then it ends with him basically taunting Bruce and going, yeah. um, and it's great. And he goes, quit, quit your bowling, you miserable speck of human trash. It's, um, I love the scene and rewatching it. I've watched it, rewatched it like four times this year. Um, and I remember watching it the, the first time this year and being like, this is incredible. Why does no one ever talk about this movie? It is not. A typical superhero climax of people fighting that happens somewhat later but this is like the final moment between father and son between bruce and david like they finally have this moment between the two of just like all this trauma and rage that nolte has caused bruce his entire life and he's finally like showing who he is it's like i've been ruined i've been looked down upon from society i can finally prove that i was right with these experiments i just need you i need your energy your strength to prove that I was right all this time. It's fucking incredible. I love this scene. This movie's incredible. We all should watch it. Everyone should watch it and realize that this movie's a secret masterpiece. Do you think that smoking drugs is cool? I'm not buying it anymore. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm on to you. It's just, it's a bit. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's Andy Kaufman-esque. And I appreciate you sticking to it so diligently, but there's 
no way in hell that I buy that you believe anything you said just said about this god awful scene. There is nothing redeeming about this scene at all to say it's good, let alone top 25 best of all time. This is awful. Uh, Eric Banya's acting is terrible when he breaks down and starts crying. I was laughing at it because it was so bad. Nick Nolte, Nick Nolte walked out of rehab and walked on. No, let me. Nick Nolte walked out of rehab, relapsed, and then walked onto the set and just blathers nonsense. I don't know if there's a script or if they just let him, you know, riff. Either way, it's awful. Um, it's the, they, they do that stupid. They're doing that stupid comic book panel thing through it, and it only happens twice throughout that scene. It's it well, happens in the entire movie, but that is also the comic book aesthetic that. Angle yeah, this is this is awful, <laughs> and I don't. I, I I refuse to believe that you mean anything you just said because there's no. I anybody hundred percent am serious. I well, I I, I I respect your commitment to the bit, Jake. Uh, does anybody else want to waste any more time talking about Hulk? Haven't seen Nick Nolte. I wish was my father. No, you go not from this movie. <laughs> I just love him. I just love how he yells. He's like, "You, what does he call him? A puny, you human trash or something?" It's great. Miserable speck of human trash. It's such a Nolte line. I love it. Like I can watch. I want. I want Nolte to electrical cable. Shut up. I want Nick Nolte to like narrate children's books, and so I can play like you. Just as he starts screaming, it's fantastic. So, look, there's there there there's there's movies that I've seen uh, that make me look a little to the right of my computer uh, to these bottles of Wayne Gretzky number ninety nine Canadian whiskey I have right next to my computer. This is one of them. Uh, the others being Spider Man three and Yellow Submarine. Uh, so that 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 movie has uh, is in a very special group of movies, Jake. So incredible animated film. What are you talking about? Yellow Submarine <laughs> <laughs> came out of nowhere. All right, uh, Scott, please take us out behind the shed and just finish this. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I'm going to. Uh, Cody, speak of the devil and it will appear. Uh, it's Dunkirk and it's the ending <laughs> scene. Uh, um, again, stands in opposition to anyone that would say this movie doesn't have an emotional impact. This, like, last five minutes gives me chills every single time. Um, this is when the soldiers are going home on the train and um they kind of stop near the station and harry styles asks one of the young boys to give him a newspaper and they give him the newspaper and there's a speech from churchill about the events of dunkirk in the paper and he starts to read it but he can't actually read it because it's too emotional for him so he gives it to the young whitehead's character who's sitting there with him and he starts to read the speech and it's this you know amazing stirring speech about um you know the fact that it was a what happened at Dunkirk was in some regards a failure because they they lost they were forced to retreat but in other ways there were victories within it because of the amazing achievement of these regular British citizens who stepped up and um, came to the the rescue of their soldiers and um, all of the while this is cutting back with Tom Hardy who's obviously the pilot and. He, you know, earlier was the decoy, basically, which, um, you know, allowed everyone to escape. 
Um, and he's now still flying in that, that vicinity. And, you know, we know that his, his time is numbered and he decides to take his plane down on the beach, um, lands it there and sets it on fire. And as we are like reading the crescendo of the speech of, you know, and Hans Zimmer's music is swelling in the background, um, you know, the, we will, you know, we will never surrender. Basically we will fight on the beaches. We will blah, blah, blah. We will never surrender. And we get that image of Tom Hardy standing there with the burning plane. And you see in the distance, the soldiers coming up over the hill, the Germans, I guess, to, to um, take him, to capture him. Um, and that's just an incredible shot there. Um, and it shows that that moment, again, the image of the burning plane is like, you have the horror of war and like the failure in some regards of what they were trying to do, but there's also something like stunning and, and beautiful about again, the achievement of these British citizens and pulling off this one of the most insane rescue missions ever. You also have the emotional thread in there of Barry Keegan's character, George having died and um, you know, his friend or the Mark Rylance's son, like going and bringing that to the newspaper and then looking at the newspaper and seeing, you know, that he was honored as a hero. So there's so many little moments in this um, that I think, you know, make it all, all the, the journey worth it. Again, the whole movie is meant to be this sort of incredibly immersive war experience where you're not really stopping to have a lot of time for character development. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it shows Nolan's skill that he's able to bring it all home and contextualize everything that we've just seen in this last five minutes. So I love it. Yeah, it's definitely the best scene of the movie. Um, I, I'm on record. I don't connect to this movie. I don't think there is a lot of to, a lot of things to hold on to, other than the visuals. Um, but I think this does a decent job wrapping it up. Uh, I still think Gary Oldman does a better job at delivering the speech. Uh, everybody else on the other Dunkirk. I haven't That's seen. It. Awesome. I haven't seen it since 2018. I don't remember much from it. I vaguely remember the ending. I'll have to rewatch it. I absolutely love the shot oh. of um, Hardy with the plane on fire. That shot's yeah. just awesome. And we finally get to see. You remember the shot? That's a good shot. Got the movie. Without. Great, great scene, great ending. The visuals great. are never the problem. The visuals are not the problem in this movie. The emotional connection to this movie is really hard. I don't think you can connect with really anybody because you don't really know much about any of them. It's just they fade. You don't like. There's no real character say, development that's between. The point. This is your time. I wanted. Well, I know. I, I believe me. I, I know. That's the point. That is all the absolute point. Which is rough for a movie that's that long and so drawn out, and you can't cling to any of them because if they disappear tomorrow, they don't leave you with anything, and that's a problem in a movie. For me, I need something to hold on to these characters that they're fighting for because when they disappear into the night. I don't. They won't. They don't have a hold on me, and that's the whole problem with this movie. I know it's it's for a bigger story and it's for no emotional, but that's a problem. Like I want to like him breaking down the train doesn't do anything for me because I don't know you. Like I know that you went through this hard time, but I don't know you personally, so that's my biggest problem. So, but overall, the scene is great. Like visually, it's great. Like him trying to lower down the 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 wheel to get into land and like all that stuff and the, the fire. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's just not for me. It's, I can't connect to it. All right. Well, that is our show. Uh, that's the list for this week. They're top tw uh, the 20s. Uh, Going to hand out uh, winners here. 
Just put me last. It's okay. You can do it. It's, we know it. We know it. First place is going to be Cody. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of uh, really great scenes here. Road to Perdition, Irishman, Godfather 2, uh, uh, America, all, all, all winners. Uh, strong, strong, strong showing from Cody today. Uh, second place, I think, is going to go to Scott. Um, Scott had faltered a little bit, but he had some really strong picks. He had the National Anthems, Cats Blanket, Crazy 88s. Uh, the Flares was strong. Uh, third place is Jack. Um, Jack's list was okay. It just didn't have some of the, the, the high highs that Cody and Scott did. So Jack's coming in third. And, yeah, I mean, Jake... You, you actually start out strong. Your top three, your, your bottom three weren't bad. Your bottom four, actually. Um, but, you know, you put uh, Charlie's Angels over Kill Bill, and it was all downhill from there. Uh, that wasn't the worst decision you made tonight, which is insane. Uh, but, yeah, that's fourth place. So uh, we will be back next week for the teens. Um, second, our penultimate show uh, for the, uh, the countdown. So join us then. Thanks for watching tonight, and uh, we'll see you next time. Intimidate me. I'm entitled to my opinion. Drunk, get angry. Come on, break the lousy cup. Ow! I hurt my arm. And not expect everybody to do everything. I'm going there soon, you know. Is that so? Where are you going? Uruguay. Well, you go Uruguay and I'll go mine.